Thursday, September 24th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Loaded episode. Tons to discuss. Week 3 NFL. Paul Bovey is going to join us to discuss every game on the Sunday slate. We're going to go through horse racing for Friday. Churchill Downs, Belmont, Santa Anita, Saturday, Churchill Downs, Belmont, Santa Anita, Stable Duel Contest Building this week in Stable Duel. And then we go to the Old Wrestling Rewatch. We've got a, a special treat for you this week. We've got Ralph Strangis, who was the former NHL commentator for the Stars. Ralph has done a ton of different things, but why we're talking about uh, with him is because he was a part of the AWA Team Challenge Series, which we're going to talk about We're uh, in our old wrestling rewatch this week with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. So, tons on the menu. And coming up this weekend, we've got a Stable Duel contest for free for the first time. You've heard me talk all about Stable Duel, the daily horse racing contest. Well, now, this Saturday, first Santa Anita, there is a free contest. If you've never played, if you want to get involved, this is a perfect time to do so. WWE has a big event this weekend. We'll, we won't talk about it on this show, but we'll talk about it next week. Uh, a couple big events. The, the baseball season finishes up. Early next week, we're going to have a baseball playoff preview. Mike Abadir is going to join me to preview the baseball season. We have the NBA Conference Finals, which are still currently underway. Lakers are up 2-1. Miami is up 3-1 on the other side. I'm recording this before the Game 4 of the Lakers and the Nuggets, so we will talk all about NBA next week, and we will be previewing whatever teams are going to be in the NBA Finals opening weekend this weekend coming up at Santa Anita. Just a huge, huge week again in the world of sports. So, baseball, yeah, we'll, we'll get into a big baseball preview next week. And we'll talk a lot more basketball on the next show also We'll see what happens over the weekend And we'll recap it And then and then hopefully get you set up for a, an NBA final preview But now we're going to get right into NFL Week 3 with Paul Bovey Paul is a very, very sharp gambler, handicapper You've heard him on this show a couple times before Paul handicaps everything Covers all a lot of different sports But in particular, he's excellent and when it comes to football, he is very good with uh, keeping an eye on numbers, movement. We went through every game. We discussed them all. We set them all up for you. Uh, games that he's played, some props that he's looked at, um, just overall discussion on all the games, all the teams. It was a lot of fun. We spent about an hour talking everything NFL Week 3. Kick back and enjoy Paul Bovey on That's What She Said. NFL Week 3 So we're starting to get a little bit more information now Not quite the overreaction We're sort of reacting to the overreactions And one of the sharpest people that you'll ever hear On the That's What G Said podcast Does some stuff uh, for Vegas Insider This is a gentleman who has been handicapping Gambling for quite some time And you can talk with him about Probably any sport And really get a very sharp opinion Talking about Paul Bovey. Paul, how you doing today? Good. Uh, are you trying to insinuate that I'm old, Gino? I've been doing this a long time. This is the nicest say? possible way of saying you're over the hill. That was what I should have just said right off the bat. Hey. Paul, uh, always love talking with you. And hey, I mean, before we even get into week three, I got to say, for someone who I know is a, a, a sports fan in general like you, and, and you play um, and you handicap and you gamble on, on different things, 
Have we ever imagined a time period like this? I mean, it's unfortunate what happened in the throughout the year to where we had, you know, sickness and pandemic and we had these sports that had to get pushed back, but we are having a month or so right now where we've got hockey playoffs, we've got the basketball playoffs, we've got baseball just about to start the playoffs. Football season is going and college football has gone has gone. We got a Preakness race coming up next week. We've got PGA golf Big like huge events Tennis events that have all been pushed back Into this like month to six week span Has Have you ever seen anything like this? No and it sounds like the NBA Is going to need the Lakers in the finals you Yeah, know, so. yeah they, they, will. Like they will <laughs> <laughs> If they have to go against the NFL And the MLB playoffs With the Denver Nuggets against the Miami Heat It could be problematic for People Ray. would forget that's even on They would, <laughs> they really would And so yeah, they, if, if we wouldn't, we've seen it happen in the NBA a time or two. We wouldn't be surprised to see um, we're, you and I recording this early on Thursday. Um, if, if Thursday night, maybe uh, Jokic gets a couple early fouls and he's out of the game, or maybe Murray picks up a cheap one or two, I wouldn't be too shocked to see something like that happen as the Lakers try to go up three games to one. But that's that scary number against Denver when you get up 3-1. We've seen a couple teams fall fall when they do that. But uh, anyways, Paul, so first couple weeks of the NFL, how, how have things been going for you? Um, do you, I mean, last week, just overall, that was, we have a ton of injuries every year at the beginning, but it felt like with the major names last week and some of the, oh, they're done for the year injuries. That was one of the worst weeks I can remember. Yeah. uh, The injuries are really piling up. And, uh, from a handicapping perspective, you have to sit on these injuries Friday tends to be a day of reckoning. Mm-hmm. And you get a good idea of who's going to be playing, who's not going to be playing. But right now, there's quite a few guys on the bubble. And I'm not just speaking about the marquee positions, which most people look at. But you're talking about offensive linemen, and you're talking about defensive backs. And those guys are just as critical as those uh, key positions. Quarterback Tyrod Taylor goes out. Justin Herbert steps in. Kind of a plug-and-play situation where there's not much of a talent disparity there. But when you have defensive backs out, offensive linemen out, that's where the public doesn't take that into account, doesn't take it as seriously. And as a handicapper, as a better, you have to really study those uh, situations. And we're going to, so since we're recording this Thursday, we're not going to really talk about the Thursday game because we won't really have enough time to get it out. People listen, and I'd rather just talk about the Sunday game. So the first game we're going to start with is uh, a, a team that sort of fits the billing you were just discussing. It's the San Francisco 49ers coming off that Super Bowl loss last year and the Super Bowl sort of hangover team that we always talk about. They're playing the Giants and they are playing at New York. And this is an interesting situation because San Francisco actually played there last week. They decided to stay on the East Coast for the week. They've actually been staying in West Virginia, but they have been decimated by injuries. They are a four, about a four-point favorite or so right now. Looks like the over/under is around forty-one and a half or so. And San Francisco, at one point last week, was playing without their starting quarterback. I think without their top two running backs, without their top two wide receivers, without their starting um, tight end, and basically the best player on their team, and maybe the best player in all of football, Kittle. They were playing without their two best defensive linemen and maybe the top one of the top three or four defensive linemen in the league, Bosa. They were playing without Sherman, who is you know one of the ten best players on their team. So when you talk about a team that has been hit with the injury bug, this is the number one team in the NFL. Yeah, and uh, you make some great points that you know. 
on a good note, on a positive note for the 49ers, George Kittle is on track to play, and that's mm-hmm. really going to help out their Huge. offense and Nick Mullins, who's who's going to fill in uh, for Jimmy G. But I'm going to just expound upon that by saying that the gravity of injuries is something, uh, particularly on defense, that I haven't seen in quite some time. They lost DeForest Buckner in free agency to the Colts, and he had seven and a half sacks last year, racked up seven and a half. And then you have now Nick Bosa out. And uh, as well as Solomon Thomas, D. Ford looks like he's going to be out again. If you add up the sacks that those guys contributed last year to the 48 that they had racked up, it's 25 sacks. So the pressure, I think, on Daniel Jones will be uh, certainly diminished this week. That's going to help out a Giants team that has struggled with pass protection. He was sacked 38 times last year in 14 games. I think they're going to be able to move the football. Now, for the 49ers on the offensive side, they lose Mostert. Uh, they lose Tevin Coleman. And now you have Jarek McKinnon, who will be filling in. McKinnon's been out for uh, since 2018. He suffered a devastating injury. Uh, couldn't come back last year. He had a setback. So he carried the ball three times on Sunday. Did break off a 55-yard run, which led to a touchdown. The 49ers, outside of big plays, really didn't do too much last week on offense. Although the scoreboard may reflect differently with 31 points, uh, it was a most-start run. First play from scrimmage, 80 yards, and that run from McKinnon, 55. Uh, And the Jets are a a futile team. They're bad. uh, They're just bad. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they didn't have their uh, best receiver last week in Crowder. And now they're going to be without Perriman this week, it looks like. Uh, they're just a, a, they're a, a mess. mess. Yeah, they are. They're a complete and total mess. But I really think the Giants have a good shot in this game. The Giants arguably could have won their first two games, if not for a late turnover by Danny Daniel Jones in uh, that first loss to the Steelers late in the third quarter. Uh, they had a shot to beat Pittsburgh. And then last week, they had the Bears on their heels the entire second half. There was some misconnections, drop passes, an interception, a fumble by Daniel Jones. He is very turnover-prone. If he can yeah. take care of the football, I think they're going to win this game, Gino. I think they got a big shot here, too. I really do. Because last week was the week... It felt like there were a lot of kind of sharps that wanted to to hit the 49ers and and get the Jets side. But we just said the Jets are so bad. They just can't move the ball at all. And this 49ers team is decimated even more by injuries a week later than they were. I think they're going to be. Like you said, they're not going to try to do too much with Mullins there. They're going to be very conservative, and I don't mind. This is something when you you miss Barkley for the whole season. That's probably going to hurt the Giants. In the, and it's going to hurt Jones in the long run But in a game or two In a situation like this where you have someone like Deion Lewis They're also going to bring in Freeman at, They also have Goldman. They actually have three backs That's that's not a horrible situation You know, There are other backfields that wouldn't mind trading and, and, and taking those three backs, they're capable So I completely agree with you I think the Giants have a big shot in here To win this game straight up The the lines out there right now, they're about What do you got, like about plus four? Yeah, it's it's been flipping back and forth between four, four and a half. I saw a three and a half out there, and and Forty Nineers are being slightly overvalued here, just key NFC champions, San Francisco Forty Nineers. 
But if you peel back the onion a little bit and look at those injuries, I think these teams are, are closer to uh, even uh, on a neutral field just because of the gravity of the devastating injuries that the 49ers have to deal with. Let's get to game number two. We've got the Cleveland Browns against the Washington football team. Cleveland right now is minus seven, uh, about seven or so. The over-under around 45 in here. So the Browns are a very interesting team because they were the hot buzz team last year. They had, When they drafted Baker at the end of his rookie year, they have that really good run at the end. He's moving. He's flying. He's all cocky. He's having fun. And then last year, you know, they were the buzz team. Everybody would jumped on them. They made a couple trades. They brought in Odell, new coaching staff, probably one of the worst coaching staffs put together maybe in the history of football. Some of the things they were doing last year were just laughable. And then it looked like week one, sort of a similar thing, but they did play Baltimore, who is one of the best teams in football. They come back in week two and they played a Cincinnati Bengals team that, you know, they're probably not going to win a whole lot of games this year. Burrow is good. They can move the ball a little bit. This is a, an interesting team to me this year And this is one of these I don't say like a big game for Cleveland But if they have any you know Semblance or thought of Sneaking into a wild card team Being an over 500 team That is taking steps forward Taking strides forward They have to win these games I just I look up and I see Cleveland And, and Arizona, teams like Cleveland and Arizona Heavy favorites It's just a little different They're favored by a touchdown here um, where, do you, uh, where do you lean Or do you have any thoughts on this game? Well, I, I'm not big on this game. I'm, I'm not uh, one to lay a lot of points with uh, teams that have question marks or yep. bad teams. But I think Washington is a tad overrated at this point on the strength of that opening win. I had Washington that game. Mm-hmm. Dare I say the Redskins. I, I understand that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I've got to... Tra- it's like it took me it took me 10 years to stop saying... The Washington Bullets. Now I have to deal with the Washington Redskins. Right? Yeah, and it's the same thing with the char- the San Diego. How many times I say San Diego for them? Vegas. I'm not gonna. It's gonna take a couple years to get used to that one too. So uh, yeah, I, we know we know it. It's uh, it's like a, the the muscle memory. It's, it's tough to get out of that habit. But no, you're right. I think. People are, are sort of overvaluing that Eagles win We've looked and seen the Eagles haven't been that great They've not really had a full team This is sort of what the Eagles do now The last few years where they sort of lose to bad teams And, and then they can compete and beat a good team or two here and there Yeah, I I don't think Washington's very good I'm not a big Haskins fan uh, Give credit to Terry McLaurin last week Seven catches, 125 yards But I think Cleveland is the better team mm-hmm. They have a strong running game and uh, they'll win the game. The question is, will they uh, be able to cover the seven points? So I'm probably going to stay away from this one. Me too. It's, it feels like a run, a low-scoring sort of Cleveland just going to try to run the ball, like you said. And I can see Washington like late, um, late cover with with some late score here. I think Cleveland wins, but I'll I'll stay away. Uh, let's get to game number three: Patriots Raiders. Interesting game here. Patriots are minus six against the Raiders. Over under here 47 and a half, 48 around there. And we we have the Raiders coming off their big win on Monday night. We have the Patriots coming off a very tight loss on Sunday night. So two teams where a lot of eyeballs were on them over the last week. And that, that's generally an interesting thing when it comes to the lines because when you have these teams that are coming off the the Sunday night or Monday night games where everybody sees them, they usually they they. The, the the numbers will move a little bit one way or the other But I guess in this case we have two teams That everybody saw last week Where do you stand on this Patriots team early on Two weeks through with the, the new QB Cam Newton 
Well, I'm not drinking the Cam Newton Kool-Aid just yet. I'm not either. Yeah, I'm not quite either. Yeah, I understand he had an impressive performance on Sunday night, but looking a little beyond that, uh, the Seahawks did give up 100 yards plus receiving well over to three different receivers in game one. So Edelman comes back and basically does what the Atlanta receivers did, racks up 179 yards, impressive performance. But I, I want to see more out of Cam Newton, who you can make an argument that with taking out that MVP year, he's been an average passer at best. Mm-hmm. He's maybe a 58% passer. So I, I want to see more. He does look rejuvenated, but this much I could say as far as how the game will play out. The Raiders are not going to get a free roll with Darren Waller catching passes over the middle, all over the field. Not with Bill Belichick. He had 10 catches or 12 catches against New Orleans. It was an embarrassing performance for the Saints defense. It was probably the most pathetic game I've seen them play in a while. From the the defense to the the coaching, they made a couple coaching blunders to the just the sloppiness overall, the penalties over and over. It was, I mean, it just looked like a bad, bad New Orleans performance altogether. I, Paul, I really wanted to play against both of these teams this week, but they're playing each other, you know, because I've kind of wanted to play against New England, and I kind of wanted to play against the Raiders off their big win, but now in a situation like this, this is probably going to be a game where I just sit and watch and maybe just try to pile a little more information on both these teams. Well, I'm going to say this, okay, so if they take away Waller, and he comes back down to earth, holds in four or five passes. Now it's going to be incumbent upon Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and Hunter Renfro over the middle. And those first two guys are rookies. Now, I'm not going to say that those rookies are going to exploit a New England secondary with Gilmore. I don't think you're going to see the Raiders score more than 17 points here. I think they're overvalued. Based on that game the other night, now I'm take nothing away from the Raiders. I, I I love what they did. They were down early. It looked like it was going to be a blowout, and they they just they kept fighting and they were dominating the game in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And and there's no question they they were the better team on Monday night. But New England, Bill Belichick, uh, they'll get the better of it. It's probably going to go under. Uh, I I would lean. I'm, that way, I would lean to New England victory, a New England victory, but would I give six, six and a half points? Probably not. Yep, I feel very similar to you. I think New England's going to get the better here, and I it feels like both teams will try to run the ball a lot, and I, I think it goes under, but this, I'm, I'm very curious about this game. This is one of the, the games that I like this week. There are a couple really, um, really intriguing games, and, and this is one of them. We move to fourth game on the Sunday slate, Atlanta Versus the Bears, Atlanta's minus three again at home playing the Bears. Forty-seven and a half, the over/under in here. So the Bears now at two and zero, Atlanta at zero and two. But we have the zero and two team favored at home over the uh, the two and zero team. And when you know they have these conversations, you hear it on a lot of talk shows throughout the week um, after week two. Who is the best zero and two team? Who is the worst two and zero team? The Bears have been the team that everybody has been talking about as the worst two and zero team. They've gotten better play from Trubisky this year, no doubt about it, but they needed an absolute collapse and a draw pass in game one from Detroit to win that game. And you talked about how the the Giants had them on the ropes and had an opportunity to win that game last week also. So this is a team that very easily could be 0-2, and they 
took a step back after the really good defense they had a couple years ago. Their their defense is still their strength, but offensively, you know, you always have question marks. They're inconsistent. Where do you stand with this Bears team? Well, Mitch Trubisky, those first two touchdowns were on broken plays. He escaped the pocket. One of them was to the running back. The other one was to the receiver in coverage on a scramble. I think they were fortunate to rack up those two touchdowns and take a 17 nothing lead into the break, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. But you got to look at the Falcons right now because uh, you've got major injuries to Fowler and McKinley, the defensive ends. If they don't play as well as Casey, who's racked up uh, 11 tackles this year, and he's question mark. Uh, question mark. I think they're going to have some problems defensively, and I think I would probably, if those guys were sitting, look towards the over. Uh, I think there would be some points scored. Atlanta certainly has weapons. Can't take that away from them. Mm-hmm. Between Ridley and Julio Jones and now Russell Gage, who I played over uh, in terms of catches and receiving yards on Sunday, uh, they've got a three-headed monster out there. In terms of receiver, I'm not sold on Todd Gurley. I don't think it was a good signing, and I think eventually he'll be replaced. But you can't argue with their passing game, and I would give them an edge if everybody's healthy, and they would probably win by seven to ten points. Yeah, uh, this is one of the games that I I, I don't love, but I feel I feel with you. I, I prefer Atlanta, and I would lean over in this spot. But as you mentioned, keep an eye on the injuries in the next couple days because those injuries on the defensive end for Atlanta would actually even make us lean more over uh, in that spot. Um, Eagles, Bengals, Eagles minus five against the Bengals, uh, 46, 46 and a half or so. Looks like the total right now. So the Eagles are 0 2, and. You know, you don't you don't want to go to 0-3 in the NFL. We see all sorts of numbers and statistics that tell us how near impossible it is to make the playoffs after going 0-3, although a lot of those are going to probably be out the window this year because of the extra playoff spot. So we'll have to have a few years of using the, the new playoff system to kind of get new numbers and see. This Eagles team feels like they need a win here, but again, we look at their... They are always banged up. They are, when is the last time this Eagles team has been healthy? It, it, it puts Wentz in a situation where he tries to do too much. He tries to force it, it too much. I was listening to a, a really good take on Wentz, and you know they uh, they were talking about how he was so successful and so efficient in in their Super Bowl run year, and they were completing all these crazy long third downs. That he's kind of gotten to a situation where he tries to force things a little too much And when you don't have your players out there You feel like you really have to force things They're they're in a tough spot here Because you know you got a Bengals team that's got really nothing to lose And Burrow's starting to figure it out He threw I think 60 times last week And didn't didn't throw a pick um, It feels like the Eagles got to win this game Where do you stand on this one? Um you make some good points about Wentz, uh, Gino, and and they suffered another injury because Jalen Rieger yeah. on the IR. All Sean Jeffries out. Deshaun Jackson will play. Resting from practice yesterday, uh, but Wentz made some very poor throws. I mean, this was a 21-16 game at halftime, and they could not crack the end zone no. in the second half. Much to my chagrin, because I had the Eagle team so total over 23. And uh, I was very disappointed in the performance, and it was Wentz. I, I put it on his back. Now, um, they uh, their run defense wasn't very good on, uh, on Sunday. And they've been struggling, in my opinion, all over the field. Um, 
tough spot for them. It, it, it is. I, I do think they're going to win this game, but I love what Joe Burrow has done thus far. He's really looked like the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this guy, you know, you look out five years and you say, will Justin Herbert be playing in the NFL, Mitch Trubisky in the NFL, and you're like scratching your head and you say, maybe, but Joe Burrow is going to be around for a long time. And uh, he, he, he makes good decisions for the most part. And they got a solid running game. I think Mixon is going to have a big game here as long as they stay within 10 points because the Eagles have been vulnerable against the run. I personally played this at over 45. Uh, I think I've got some value in the number now. I think last check it was 46, 46 and a half. Mm-hmm. I do think there'll be some points here. Yeah, this is... Uh, Again, pretty similar. I think the Eagles have to win this game, but that's what's nice about the Bengals. They're feisty. They're going to win a game or two that they shouldn't win this year because they can move the ball and because Burrow, he's just, he's got the it. Like you said, the it factor that you look at the guy and you go, yeah, he is going to be one of those top 15 quarterbacks in the league. It's going to be around and, and win games for you for a while. You can just tell that intangible. Instantly, right away And we still have to ask questions about a lot of guys Like Baker, does he have it? Tannehill has sometimes this or that You know, there's Like you said, you mentioned Trubisky Is he going to be around? You you get the feeling instantly Two weeks after Burrow, this guy is good He he reminds me sort of of like a young Peyton Just, you could see it There were going to be struggles But you just, you know right away This guy makes the throws So I love watching him play As we move to Steelers versus Houston Um, The Steelers are minus four here against the Texans The total in this one I believe is at 45 right now And man, talk about the poor Texans Like They played probably the two best teams in football right now In in the first two weeks where they they played Baltimore and Kansas City And now week three, they got to play one of the best defenses in football So not the easiest start to the season for the Texans And another team that is generally in the playoff discussion Sort of like the Eagles You feel like man, going to 0-3 Wouldn't be the best of situations for them But they got a tough, tough defense to face this week So you're sold on that defense then? Pittsburgh? Yeah. You know what? The, I actually like the Texans in this spot And I, I think where you're going That the Pittsburgh defense is Last week, I was not quite as impressed with as I, Actually, both weeks, I gotta be honest Both teams move the ball Last week, a, Dr- a Driscoll was able to move the ball against them a little bit. I think they might lose this game. I really do. And I think it, this is a big Watson game for me. It, Watson has to look at this game and say, we need this game to win. I got to be the best player on the field here. I got to move the sticks, pick up some first downs. We got to get Fuller back involved again and stretch the field. So I'm, I'm with you. I think it, t- Pittsburgh defense is good. I don't think they're as good as everybody else does. I I would agree with that, and that's where I was going with this. I look at those two games. Now, look, Cortland Sutton didn't play in the first game. He goes out with an injury against the Steelers. So now they're facing a receiving corps that consists of Judy, uh, Hamler, Tim Patrick, and Noah Fant. In the first week, uh, Daniel Jones had success. He, he, it, you talked about the interception he threw. If he doesn't... They're going into to either it was 16 to 10 and they're driving they're on the 3 yard line if they score they take the lead the Giants take the lead there what happens is he throws an interception and then following the interception as Pittsburgh's driving down they fumble the ball there were four Giants around where they had an opportunity to pick up the ball and Juju somehow gets it and then Pittsburgh's able to score if the Giants 
get one of those two plays if they either don't make the turnover or get the fumble and then just come back down and, and they're they're in close to field goal range immediately if they get the fumble. That's a whole different game. I, I played against the Steelers a lot last year, and I was expecting a little bit more of them this year. Now they won two and but again, they could have lost either of those games. They really could have. And I think if you watch the games through, you go back on Game Pass and watch them, I'm they're the type of team I think that play always with Tomlin. I have questions about his execution, his in-game adjustments, and they always seem to play to their opponents, up or down. I think they play with the best teams and they play down to the worst teams. Yeah, and Ben Roethlisberger, the stats look great on Sunday: twenty-nine and forty-one for three eleven. But there was an eighty-four-yard completion in there. First week, he had two hundred and twenty yards. So it remains to be seen, number one, if he could survive the entire year because he's only played a full season four times mm-hmm. in his, uh, I think it's, what, 16-year career? Yeah. Came in the league in 2004. And uh, the defense right now, Gino, the jury is out. I want to see better. And the, the number, which opened up at six, is now at four. So there are people that share my opinion, uh, your opinion yep. that maybe uh, you look at the Steelers and you don't know what you're going to get. But I would tend to take this Texan team because they obviously have a new receiving core this year. And it's going to take time to mesh. And, and I believe Watson will get it right. And I just don't see the Texans at 0-3. I don't either. And I don't see the Steelers at 3-0. and yeah, I, I, it's weird. It's 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 simple. It sounds simple, but I agree with you. They, they've all the Texans have always been this like Jekyll Jekyll and Hyde sort of back and forth team in the last couple of years with Watson too. Where they'll they'll win two, they'll lose two, they'll win. They they very rarely they they don't lose three in a row. They don't win three in a row. They're just that kind of a team. They've been that that team for a while now. Um, I think you're going to get some big plays from Watson. I really do. I think he's going to step up. What it feels to me with the Steelers defense is that. They are in certain spots They have some of the best Players in the league in maybe three or four Spots and so we then we kind of Feel like their whole defense as a to- As a whole is excellent but the Other the other spots Are just average to below average So of course when you have a Watt and, and some players that are in the top 10 defensively a couple It raises the profile of, of your defense But yeah I'm, I'm with you I'm 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 against Pittsburgh this week. I think Houston's got a big opportunity to win. This is a game I'd even look at. Money line, anything over the three and a half would be fine. You know, uh, four, great. But we know what side we're on, so we want to get the best number that, that we possibly could. But I'm this, this is a big Watson game for me. It really is. And just like you said, now you've got – if he started to figure out Cobb a, a little bit and Cooks last week. And he already knows Fuller. And Fuller was her, and so he didn't. He had nothing last week. You put all three of them in the game together, and David Johnson's been a little bit better. They've got some weapons. If they're if they have a full complement out there this week with Watson, that's not going to be easy for the Steelers to stop. Yeah, I I agree. And remember, Slayton had six catches in the first game for 102 yards. Tate did not play. Sterling Shepard six targets, six receptions, 47. So this pass defense, which was untested in week two, as I alluded to, uh, didn't do a great job in week one against the Giants and Daniel Jones. So I'm going to look for the Texans as you are. I'm, I'm going to look for a win. I'm going to look for a, a one and two Texan team uh, after this week 
to and and for them to get back in the race for the division. Yeah, I agree. I haven't been too. It's it's a wide open division in there. Nobody in that division it feels like he's going to run away and hide with it. Uh, but the one of the teams who is in the best shape right now is Tennessee. They are currently a two and a half point favorite. Against Minnesota who has looked like one of the worst Teams in the league Tennessee is at Minnesota As a two and a half point favorite on the road uh, Total in this game is already is up to 49 and a half because that Minnesota defense and the secondary In particular has just looked Atrocious Tennessee Gave up 30 points to Jacksonville last week and Tennessee one of the issues with Tennessee I think we have to discuss we don't Talk a whole lot about kickers when we're breaking The games down but in a in a with a team like this who's had two weeks so far and massive kicker issues, they had kicker issues all through last year. And Goskowski feels like he's going to miss a bunch of the kicks, but he's going to make the game winners. He's done it back to back weeks now. So anytime there's a game that's tight like this, you get a little worried. They miss a field goal, they miss another field goal, and then all of a sudden, you know, if you're if you need Tennessee and and you're and you need and you're given a few points, you, you might be in some trouble. I just. This Minnesota team has looked bad And I don't know if they're going to be able to get it together quickly Where do you uh, stand in this game? Well, you may reference the secondary And that's why I was all over Green Bay in the first game They made a decision at the beginning of the year Look, we're going to get rid of our entire secondary They gutted everybody And they brought in rookies from the first, third, fifth And seventh round and plugged them in and that's not a good recipe for success against Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams, and and he exploited it. And then uh, throw Aaron in the pa- throw in the pandemic year too, right? A year where there's no training camp, there's no preseason games. You you have everything in a in a completely different speed up ramp up process. These guys got no reps. It's going to take them a while to get used to you know NFL offenses picking on them. Exactly. Uh, and it showed up in the first game. And Rivers' numbers last week, uh, week weren't great. Uh, 19-25 for 214. But if you look at T.Y. Hilton's drop in the end zone, yep. uh, it was a 40-plus yarder. It would have been a lot better, a 20-26 for 250. So right now that pass defense is in a state of flux. And I think that has something to do with it. Tennessee lost uh, some defensive backs. Uh, Adoree Jackson went on the mm-hmm. IR. Malcolm Butler did not practice yesterday. He he was questionable coming into Sunday. He ended up playing, but Minshew had a great game, and it, I, I had the over in the game at 42, and it, it soon went to 44 and a half thereafter, and that was one of the games I was able to flip off at halftime, and I got six screens Thanks. here, you know, so I got to, like, pick and choose, like, what do I want to eliminate? But uh, they scored a lot of points, and... Uh, uh, 49, that's that's a top-heavy number considering mm-hmm. the Minnesota offense has been pedestrian at best. They made a decision uh, to get rid of Diggs, and Adam Thielen and B.C. Johnson are their number ones, and, and Justin Jefferson as well uh, is in there. But I, I'm not, he's a, a first-round draft pick, but I'm not quite sure that that's the answer to their passing game. And, and Kirk Cousins, I think he needs more help. And he had 113 yards passing. I wouldn't go over 49. I mean, when numbers no. get away, and I think there's an, a, a little bit of exuberance built into these overs now because, you know, everybody's puffing their chest out. Most people play overs. And, and you know, look, the overs hit, what, 11-5 and five on Sunday? So yep. these numbers are being pumped up. 
to uh, inflated levels, and this is the case of it. Yeah, th- that's way too high. I mean, that thing's going to get to 50, too, or t- you know, in the next day or so. And um, I just I can't play Minnesota. As you said, they've been so bad. The Tennessee on the road is a fit, but this is a total I would look towards. And if this thing keeps creeping, I'm going to go the other way because I could just see both of these teams trying to run the ball too. And it, and it just not being that much of a blowout. If Tennessee just, they know Minnesota's got a, a bad secondary, but what Tennessee does best is just running the ball. And if they're not going to have like a strong version of AJ Brown out there to throw it to, maybe they just say, hey, let's just pound them with Henry. And it's just a low, like a, you know, they, the clock just keeps running over and over. That could be the same thing in the Raiders game where you have teams that just want to run the ball and that, and they end up trying to do so. We watch that number as it continues to creep up. Let's get to Bills Rams. There has been so much weird movement. In the Rams games these first couple weeks with the the numbers, this is a, a game where they are. So the Rams and and the 49ers both are playing back to back games on the East Coast, but they did it differently. So we'll get to see maybe which works out or if if there's a difference because the Rams traveled, they went to Philly, they came back, and now they're going back to Buffalo. And the Bills are two and a half point favorite here against the Rams. And I believe the total is let's see, where are we on the total? Like forty seven and a half? Yeah, forty seven, forty seven and a half or so. Where do we uh where do we stand on this one? Well, this is the one I played early in the week. I I, I played a couple uh totals on Sunday, Sunday night. Forty seven, I played it at forty four and a half, forty five. I, I think a lot of this is gonna hinge on the linebackers of the Bills, specifically Matt Milano and Tremaine, Tremaine Edwin. Edmonds, who combined for 216 tackles last year. Now, they were out on Sunday, and it showed up defensively because Mike Gesicki for the Dolphins went off for eight catches, 130 yards. Now, Gesicki is a good tight end, but he's not an eight-catch, 130-yard tight end guy. And now they have to face the Rams and Tyler Higby. Now, since Tyler Higby took over for Everett, He's averaged seven catches a game, 90 90 yards a game. So this is going to be a challenge if these guys are out again this week. Right now, no injury status on on them other than questionable. And you can't argue with what Josh Allen has done so far. Six touchdowns. He's uh, been very efficient. No interceptions. 70% completion rate. That offense has been upgraded immensely. Uh, with Stefan Diggs because he makes John Brown and Cole Beasley better receivers and, and th- he could spread the ball out. He could run. You got Singletary in the backfield. Uh, it's This is an offensive football team right now. Yeah. Uh, and Bills have solid, a decent defense with those linebackers. Without those linebackers, they're in trouble. The Rams, um, I don't look at their defense as being very solid. I, I, I think the Cowboys blew numerous opportunities in week one, and they have been run against. I think it was 4.4 yards the first week, 4.8 yards the second week, no breakaway runs. Uh, I, I think both teams move the football. I, I, I look at this as, a, as a, an over game. That's why I played it. I'm not going to try to predict a winner here, but I will say that points should be scored. Yeah, I'm going to lean. I'm, I'm a Rams fan, and I'm glad that they're 2-0, but I, I completely agree with what you've said. Watching both of those games, 
game one, obviously the, the Dallas missed a few opportunities And then there was the chance Late in the game with that offensive pass interference Where the Rams very easily could have lost That game, and then week two To me, just like you said earlier When we had the discussion about Carson Wentz It was more Wentz Making bad throws than it was The defense forcing exactly. him into that Now again, Eric Donald is incredible And, and he's going to be a nuisance And he's going to be difficult you know, for any offensive line To deal with, but I I like the Bills in this spot at, at anything under three, and um, you know, I, I think I think they're going to win this game. I just think it's a it's a third consecutive tough spot for the Rams. Whereas the Bills played, this is the game they're going to be up for. This is probably the first game they circled on their schedule and said, okay, we should be able to get through the Jets and and the Dolphins. And then it, and then when there's games like what happened last weekend, when it's one of those games where there's a weather delay and the game's delayed like an hour, I generally kind of. Take a lot of that and and it was close Late sure but I don't really hold it That much against the Bills in that situation They did what they needed to do and like you said The the problem with this Bills team The last few years has been Josh Allen Is he going to make the crucial turnover in a big In a big moment we saw him do it in the playoff game We saw him do it against the Patriots last year In a big game he feels Like he's making better decisions He's got more weapons now with Diggs He's got someone where he can just sit back Throw the ball as far down the field And Diggs will probably go and get it yeah, I like the Bills in this spot a little bit. I don't want to take anything more than three. Two and a half is the number right now. That's the number I'd like to take. And uh, hey, if the Rammies go three and zero, as a fan of the Rams, I'd like to see it. I just think this isn't the travel again, back and forth. It feels like this is a, a, a week where the Rams come out a little bit flat. So uh, give me the Bills in this spot. Let's get you know, to the. Have, yeah, go ahead. I have the uh, I have the Bills to win the division. I have the Bills uh, win total over, and I have the Rams uh, win total under. So I was quite upset with that offensive pass interference penalty yeah, in game one. Right. Okay, and right. that's the one win total I'm losing right now. Everything else looks looks fantastic, but uh, yeah, I need the Rams to uh, lose this game. I need Buffalo to win, so I'll be rooting for you, Gino. Okay, let's get the uh, let's get the Bills home here. Let's move on to Colts versus the Jets. This game is up to eleven and a half. Colts were a really buzzy team They picked up Phillip Rivers They made a couple uh, nice acquisitions on the defensive side of the ball And they drafted a, a solid running back They they got beat week one by a team that many thought would be Maybe the worst team in the league Then they came back and they played a team that could be the worst team in the league right now The Vikings And they beat them up um, So I, I, it's, I guess we don't really know quite yet what this Colts team is And look who they're going to play this week I mean, the fact that they... They they have to be two and one. They probably are going to look back at the schedule and say, "Wow, how are we not three and zero? Losing that game to the Jaguars in Week One." But this Jets team, I mean, I think I saw saw that Adam Gase said something during the week like, "Oh, now it's time to ramp things up into hyperdrive." Like, where the hell have you been before? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like what what's been going on before this? Um. The Jets are in a lot of trouble. We know they're a bad football team, but now, as I mentioned before, in addition to uh, Crowder being out, you got Perriman out, and now three offensive linemen are uh, doubtful for this week. So 11.5, I'm not one to lay 11.5 in the NFL, but you would look at this and say this might be a bargain because the Jets are that bad but you know it's maybe a conservative line because Indy didn't look fantastic on Sunday and you would think that the 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 gravity of the Jets performances 
might be not taken into account fully just because it's only two weeks into the season. And the Jets should have only had six points last week. I lost the total on that late touchdown, that miraculous touchdown uh, by Sam Donald as he escaped the pocket and, and just threw up a Hail Mary. But uh, the Jets, I, I, I couldn't take the Jets here. I, the, the line has steamed up. It's now 11 and a half. There's 12s out there. Uh, but Indianapolis should win this game comfortably. And the only reason they could lose it is because of turnovers, as they did in that first game against the Jaguars, which you mentioned. And they never punted against the Jaguars. They moved yeah. the all day long. They missed a 30-yard field goal in that game, too. It was just, like you said, they if if they don't hurt themselves, they're easily 3-0 and right here after this game. And, and I just don't know how right now... As a better, we love playing numbers. I love playing numbers that have some value in them. I just cannot play right now the Vikings or this Jets team until I see a little bit of something for th- from them and I have some sort of a reason. Uh-huh. Let's get to the Chargers versus the Panthers. Man, Chargers played really well last week. Um, and then we've heard all of this crazy stuff throughout the week about what happened with Tyrod Taylor as he... Apparently had some bruised ribs or cracked ribs after week one One of the doctors, the the team doctors for the Chargers Went to give him an injection um, to ease the pain And ended up giving him a collapsed lung Which is something that I've actually had before And I can promise you that is not something you want to go through You think you're having a heart attack I went to the hospital and had to have a tube in my chest Out of my chest for three straight days afterwards So, Paul, where do you stand on this one? Well, a lot of people are really emphasizing the fact that Justin Herbert came in. He had no practice. He didn't know. And sometimes that's actually easier than having to think about 100%. it. 100%. You don't even – You don't even. he said he didn't know until 10 minutes before the game. Right. And I'm, I, I actually took the, uh, the charges Sunday, and I, I don't think I would have done it had I known Justin Herbert was going to play. I wanted Tyrod Taylor, and it, it didn't work out, although the second half – I think they gifted that game to the Chiefs more than anything else. And there was a point in that game, and I'm sure you recall it vividly, when Justin Herbert could have ran for a first down and instead elected to throw the ball downfield at the 10-yard line, and it was intercepted. And that, to me, flipped the whole game around. Everything. Yeah, everything. It would have been first down at the 30-yard line. And then I thought the play calling was absurd. Because they were stacking the box and basically saying, you're not going to run the ball up the middle. We're going to make Justin Herbert beat uh, beat us. And uh, whatever, whoever was calling the plays, Anthony Lynn, I, I don't know. But they just ran it straight into the line. First down at the three-yard line, they come away with a field goal. They got stopped. It, it, it was very painful to watch. It was in a, a game I rarely get upset. But that was a game that I really got upset at because the Chargers should have won that game. They ran for 180 yards. There were no breakaway runs. The Chiefs were playing a rookie cornerback, and that's part of the reason Justin Herbert had some success. Now, Carolina is not a bad football team. They have a lot of injuries, though, on the defensive line. They've got this um, uh, short is uh, uh, didn't practice, and 
Uh, Brian Burns was was limited in practice, and Matos was also limited. So you got to look at the injury report here. But I I would take the points with the Carolina Panthers. They they didn't look all that bad against the Raiders and uh, against the Saints. They almost covered. I would take the Panthers with the points. Uh, but I would also uh, defer to the injury report to see who is and who is not going to be playing. Yeah, this is a sneaky game because you know you look at it. Chargers minus six and a half uh, right now. Panther uh, versus the Panthers forty four. And coming off of that game where they played so well against the Chiefs, it feels like everybody would want to take the Chargers this week because this Panthers team is banged up. No McCaffrey, as you mentioned, they've got some defensive issues. They look like their defense is probably one of the worst defenses in the league. I think they do have some talent around, but with the injuries right now, they haven't shown it. Yeah, this is this game's a sneaky one to me. I'm going to keep an eye on the injuries. I'm going to wait to see what the, if this number moves around a, a lot at all. It's been a right, pretty steady at about six and a half for a while here. As you could hear the uh, the gardener outside starting the lawn mowing. He's not supposed to start till eleven thirty, Paul. So I'm pretty I'm pretty upset. I'm going to have to talk to this guy in a minute because <laughs> we got some deals. We got some deals going, but nonetheless, uh, um, give me give me like I said a, a day or two to see where this number goes because it feels. I feel like with CMC out, with the way the Chargers played well last week, this would probably be up to seven and a half, eight. But since it's still at six and a half, it's just a little sneaky in here. And so, yeah, this is a game I'm going to keep an eye on. Let's move to Tampa. We're going to get to uh, Tampa minus six at Denver. Total in this is 43 and a half. You mentioned injuries. Denver is another team that's been really banged up on the defensive side of the ball. They're also going to be missing their quarterback. Cortland Sutton was another one who's missed uh, some some spots. So. We're, what have you thought so far a couple weeks through with uh, with Tom Brady in Tampa, and, and what are some of your thoughts on this matchup? Look, it's a work in progress over there, and, and Tom Brady is still a, a great quarterback. He's a great talent. Obviously, at, at this age, you have to feel his uh, skill set is in decline. But uh, look, they're, they're going to have all their receivers together, hopefully, this week, and Mike Evans and Scotty Miller and Chris Godwin. And uh, look, they should score some points here. Uh, I, I'm, it's not a game I'm going to be betting. It's one of these situations where I'm going to take a wait and see. Maybe I'll get involved live, but certainly Tampa should win the game. They have more talent, on, on, in my opinion, on both sides of the ball, especially considering the injuries. And they're going up against Jeff Driscoll. I mean, I mean you have to feel that. Tampa Bay should be able to exploit that uh, and, and wreak some havoc uh, on the on on Jeff Driscoll because look he's he's not a seasoned quarterback he doesn't have a ton of experience and uh, you you've got Tom Brady on the other side he doesn't have a ton of weapons either we'll see what happens with like someone like Lindsey would be so nice just as you know a little out a little out a little safe help and we'll see if he's going to be involved I just. Yeah, I I, can't, I couldn't get to Denver. I don't really want to play Tampa, given the six on the road. So this is another one where I'm like you. I'll just be watching. Total is 43 and a half here. Let's get to Seattle versus Dallas. Seattle minus five against Dallas over under. You talked about over unders that are getting pumped up. The last four games that we're going to talk about: 55 and a half, 55, 52 and a half, and 54 and a half. So these numbers are way up there, Paul. Seattle minus five against a Dallas team that made a crazy comeback, secured an onside kick in a new way where they they had the ball not on the tee, spinning around, and they sort of baited the the Falcons defenders, and um, 
that was not a crazy game and a crazy comeback. And then you got Russell Wilson, who's been playing incredible. And and Seattle's playing a little differently this year. They're throwing the ball and they're they're a little more aggressive. They're not just pounding the run. We think about Seattle and we always think about defense, but that's really not this Seattle team anymore. I think the uh, Cowboys are in a lot of trouble here. They uh, lost a woozy at cornerback this week. And they had already lost Byron Jones to the Dolphins. And now they have Diggs uh, at the other corner who might be out. Now, if Diggs is out, you've got C.J. Godwin going in there who's 30 years old. And in his career, he has 37 tackles and two passes defended. And that should tell you all you need to know. They already lost Van Der Esch and Sean Lee. Sean Lee is noted to be injury prone, but he played all 16 games last year. Demarcus Lawrence is questionable. If you watch that Ram game, which I know you did, the Rams, it was just a lot of dump offs and there was just nobody in the picture. And then, look, Atlanta just collapsed last week. Uh, There's no way Dallas is going to be able to handle Russell Wilson, who's trying to make a statement, and Seattle's offense. On the other side, you've got that Seattle defense. Major liabilities there, and they just lose Bruce Irwin. And they also lost the safety this week to injury. Uh, but they have an offense, but their defense has been a sieve. It was a sieve against Atlanta. I alluded to the fact that you had three receivers in the first game well over 100 yards. And last week, Edelman, eight catches, a buck 79. There should be points here. If there's, if there's a game that maybe will uh, people will be scared off of because the number is so high. This could be it, but they should easily go over this number. I don't see how I don't see how they stop Seattle at all. I'm with you. I just I just don't see how they stop them at all. And and Dallas offensively has pieces. They've got Lamb now, who's just another weapon for them. So they're going to have three solid receivers. They have another tight end. You know, is he Dallas is going to move the ball and score points always when they lose. They're not going to lose because they get shut out. They're going to lose because their defense can't stop anybody, which we've seen, you know, through two weeks too. I completely agree with you. I just don't know how both of these teams will go back and forth and back and forth. I think Seattle probably wins by two scores, but but it's like they're going to just take turns scoring and scoring and scoring. I'm really impressed with Seattle. I just would love because I I, I trust and I believe in Russ so much, and I think they have some nice weapons now. If they are able to. Sure up that defense at all in the next few weeks, or make a move, or or some kind of an adjustment. I, I'm going to be very, very high on them the rest of the season because this feels like a a sort of a rust type season. They're quote unquote letting rust cook right now, and he is no doubt one of the the short, uh, one of the few on the short list for early season uh, MVP through just a few games. Let's get to the the final three games we have on the uh, on the menu for. Sunday and then the, the Monday night game. Um, so we have Arizona minus five. It's at, I believe it's five and a half now versus Detroit. Over under in this game is fifty five. Arizona trying to go to three and zero. Oh. Detroit could be zero oh and three, and their record with Patricia is absolutely atrocious. They blew Week One. This was actually the Week One game last year when Detroit had that big lead. They ended up blowing it, and these two teams tied. So the Cardinals now. Pretty quickly, pretty early on, they are becoming a team that is is you know a, a pretty heavy favorite. I think they were a seven point favorite last week. They're going to be you know around a six point favorite again this week. A team that was a bad team for a few years is now back and 
you know, I get Vegas and a lot of people feel like this is a playoff team. One thing I could tell you, Gino, the public is going to be all over Arizona this week. And the number has been sitting at five and a half, six. And I question why the number is still at five and a half, six. Now, I know one reason Kenny Galladay will be back in the lineup. Huge for for Detroit because he's been lacking. uh, Matt Stafford has weapons. TJ Hawkinson seems to be his number one target. You need more than that. Yeah, because Marvin Jones and Amandol, those guys are slotted in as like two and three. They're fine. But when they have to move up a tier and become your one and your two, then you're in trouble. Exactly. So I do think that if Galladay is in the lineup and he's fully healthy and at 100%, Detroit could score 24 points. Patrick Peterson is a very capable corner. He's been around for a while. I don't think he's quite as good as what he was three years ago. Uh, Is Arizona overvalued right now? Uh, Possibly a tad. I had him the first week against the Niners, and I just think that offense in that first week for San Francisco was very stagnant. And they match up well against San Francisco. The th- that one of like the the good defenses in San Francisco in particular struggles a little with the running quarterback. Even last year, Murray did really well against them. So that was a good like a good matchup. You could just tell that they were going to play well against them. Yeah, and Arizona plays Washington the next week, and of course, everybody looks good against Washington. Even the Eagles look good against them. They just win didn't win the game. Uh, so this is a game where actually Detroit. Can stay in the game Now I'm not impressed with their secondary And I'm not impressed with their run defense But I do think they can score 24 points here And if they score 24 points They got a shot to cover the game 27-24, 28-24 Something like that If Galladay plays But their their rush defense was horrible Against Aaron Jones And they were supposed to have a pretty tough Defensive line They just have not looked good uh, but the number, as I said, it's hanging around this area where they're going to suck in a lot of money on the favorite. And so I wonder who's betting uh, the Lions right now because somebody is. Mm-hmm. And it's not the it's not the the random fan. It's the sharp that's betting them. It's 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 yeah. not the the everyday person. Why are you betting Detroit off of those 2 weeks? They got the crap kicked out of them. They're playing against a team where Kyler should be able to run on paper. It feels like like you said it's this is just one of those numbers games where Galladay coming back is could make this team so much different. So much different than what we saw. Just give them weapons and options that they did not have in weeks 1 and 2. And this you know, I don't this is another little thing built in. I mean I don't think Patricia's a very good coach We've obviously seen that But if he's got anything left That he hasn't pulled out This is the time right now He does not have a whole lot of time Because he he, he gets to 0-5, he's done they, they'll, they'll get rid of him right away He's got to win a couple games here early in the season Or at least be competent This was a team that Again, like last year they were sort of buzzy I know, um Football outsiders had them and they were really High on them in, in DVO and where they were Projecting them and, and a lot of team pe- uh, People again were assuming okay Stafford coming back this year they gotta Look better in this uh, in this week three Game against Arizona let's get to The Sunday night game it is the Saints against the Packers Saints Minus three versus the Packers Saints lost in that home Opener for Vegas And now they head back home off of the 
Like you said, an embarrassing loss. I mean, from a coaching standpoint, they didn't look good. Defensively, they got shredded. They did not, like Drew Brees did not look very good, and he looked sort of lost without a, a Thomas out there. All they could do was force feed Kamara and penalties. They were just awful and undisciplined and sloppy. So then you come back this week, you play the you, you play a Packers team who's looked really, really good through through two weeks and has just scored and scored and scored and scored. This total is up at fifty two and a half. Saints minus three against the Packers. I played under uh, Gino because I just think this total's a little bit pumped up, especially considering Devonta Adams might not play. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael Thomas. Yeah, you got your you got the the, the, the top wide receivers out. Yeah, it makes it makes absolutely no sense to me because a couple weeks ago we were talking about how anemic the Packers uh, wide receivers were and why they didn't draft a wide receiver in the first round and draft, drafted Love instead. Didn't give uh, Aaron Rodgers any help. This team just barely tipped 20 points a game the last four weeks of the season. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're the second coming of the 1999 Rams. It doesn't make any sense to me because Aaron Rodgers went against two very weak secondaries. We've already covered the uh, Lions secondary and the Vikings secondary, so we won't belabor that. But they're going against a defensive backfield now that has been penalized for interference penalties in the first couple games, but they are talented. And if Devonta Adams doesn't play, and even if he does, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to come back down to earth here and he'll have to struggle for points instead of like drinking out of a fire hose. So um, I think the Packers will see 20, 21 points here and the saints. We already talked about their offensive woes, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, and Drew Brees, as a quarterback, he tends to run the clock because he completes 75% of his passes. So you don't get the stoppages mm-hmm. that you would with a normal quarterback to complete 60% of his passes. I don't see this as being a 52.5-point game, especially with the injury situation. This thing should be sitting at 49 at best. And so I went under the total for value Completely agree I'm going to go under the total here I think what makes the most sense for both of these teams In this spot is to run the ball It just does Like you're going to run the ball with Kamara You got Murray still. You got Murray there too And Jones has been awesome So continue to run the ball with Jones Especially if you're missing Adams And you know they're going to be missing Thomas on the other side And we saw that they didn't really have Just very similar with what we were talking about With Detroit on both of these teams There's not another guy on either of these receiving cores that can step up and be number one wide receiver. The the rest of them are twos and threes. We saw that with Emmanuel Sanders and the other receivers on the New Orleans side. And just like you said with the receivers on the Green Bay side, we've been talking for a while about how weak their receiving core is. Now without Adams, they're going to be, they're going to have a one there? No. So I think they both run the ball. I see this sort of like you, 24-21. Something like that where I think it's a close game I do think these teams are good and I think When they're at full strength with their receivers Back they're probably going to be two of the best Teams in in you know in the conference But right now there's no I just don't see the fireworks in this game That everybody else sees I I, I think it's a good competitive Low to mid 20s Game give me the under in this one And it's at 52 and a half right now And it probably like you said everybody's loving to play The overs this thing is probably going to go up uh, Another half or, no, or it's, it's, No way it's going up and you I'll think tell it's gonna... you what Look I consider myself fairly Sharp in these totals I, I 
played it. I did, you know, when I played it, the number went down slightly, and normally uh, the market will follow me, and it didn't follow me. But um, I, I don't think sharps would let this go it's, up. It's too high. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's too high. It is. It really I, is. It, for I, some reason, if it does, jump all over it. But jump on it now in case it goes back the other way, as Paul is just uh, as Paul just mentioned. So yeah, th- see what I like about this week is. We have an and then a great game to close things out on Monday night. We actually have some good, interesting games. I think that the Vegas Patriots game is interesting. Both of those teams have looked pretty good. We're going to learn something about them. I'm very interested in the Pittsburgh Houston game. That you know, two teams that I think are, are solid. The Rams versus the Bills looks like a very fun game on paper. And then these, you know, Seattle Dallas is another really good one. Saints Packers another good game. How about Baltimore versus the Chiefs? And you got your Super Bowl Chiefs as a plus three and a half point underdog right now. The total in this game is up to 54, 54 and a half. So we're gonna get Mahomes. We're gonna get Lamar Jackson. We're gonna get the two teams that people. Think are the two best teams in football It's 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 hard to really Disagree with that but you know We talked a lot about the Chiefs last week And that they should have could have Very easily lost that game and, and they even needed So much as the what happened With the field goals late where Butker had to Hit a 53 year 53 yard Field goal then there was a penalty they called a Timeout he had to hit a 58 yard Field goal twice in order for them to win so A lot of things had to go right for the Chiefs To win that game and felt like the Chargers Lost that game so where are you in this One uh, the big game of the week Paul Um You know The number open two and a half it's a Three and a half uh, Would I be enthralled about giving Three and a half Points to uh, the world champions, knowing that you could get beat by a garbage touchdown at the end by Patrick Mahomes. No, I would not. But looking at that Chiefs team, uh, and I mentioned this before, 4.4 yards a rush to the Chargers and Justin Herbert, 22 of 33. You got a rookie cornerback in there, basically, at Lejarius need. Now you got Ward, who's the right cornerback. He's questionable. He will probably play, but I'm not impressed with their defense. I have to give the edge to Baltimore uh, on offense here, considering that Sammy Watkins is now in concussion protocol. I like Baltimore here. Would I give three and a half points? No, but I think the best play here, and I've already played it for a little bit, is to take the Baltimore team total over because I do think they get into the 30s. They're not going to be able to take their foot off the gas as they kind of did last week against the Texans. They're going to have to keep scoring. They have the weapons. They have the tight ends. They have a running back, and they have the quarterback, and they will score points. That is the best way to play this game, in my opinion, just like you said, the Baltimore team total, because I feel it in – in agreement with you I don't want to play against Mahomes And this Chiefs team Getting three and a half to four points You know like I don't But I've, I've heard and read some things in the last few weeks And you can tell that this Baltimore team Because of the way that, that, that things ended for them last year They've sort of circled this game Early in the season as like their early Super Bowl because they want to prove I think Lamar Jackson feels like he has A point to prove that hey you know I had this great year but in the big games I still haven't been able to prove it in the Playoffs 
I, I think Baltimore wins this game too I agree I just I feel like they're going to take this game A little more seriously than the Chiefs Who are a Super Bowl winner And they don't have to Honestly they don't I mean they, it, I don't think they're going to say Oh we need to go out and prove a point here As much as it feels like Some of the quotes I've heard And some of the things over the last few weeks it's, I'm with you I just I can't I can't play it at three and a half. If if you found a two and a half out there, I'd be okay with that, or even a three. I just I wouldn't want to give more than the field goal. Um, if you're on the Baltimore side, I think the best thing that you said is Baltimore team total. I could see this team. This could be the game that I could see these these teams going back and forth. It, it could be really fun where it's like Lamar, Mahomes, Lamar, Mahomes. I just don't think either team is going to stop. I don't think either coach is going to stop. They're going to say we got to get to forty. 45 if we want to beat the other team So I'm with you team total over On uh, on Baltimore is probably the play In here and a really fun I mean we're going to have really nice Sunday afternoon Sunday night and Monday Night games this week on a great uh, NFL week three Slate Paul give us kind of a over Overview of week three some of the Games that you've either played or That you're looking to play or maybe in numbers that you're waiting For any kind of a few thoughts on a few of These games well, I'm I'm gonna sit on these injuries, and, and I yeah, make we a have lot to of this decisions. Week. Yep. My decisions, you know, are made from a betting perspective normally at the beginning of the week on Sunday night, and then after Friday when the injury reports yep. come out, and then eleven thirty Eastern time, eleven forty Eastern time on Sunday morning when the final injuries and the scratches come out. So as of right now, I did play the uh, the Rams and Bills over. As I mentioned, uh, I, I probably will end up going to the Texans. I played the Giants uh, at, at this point. I, I, I'd rather see Kittle sit out. Uh, I'm not happy about seeing that he's on track to play, but I still think the Giants will score some points, and, and, and I think they'll hold San Francisco to 17-20, to 20, which will be good enough to get a cover. Uh, and, and then I play a lot of props. I play, uh, what did I play Sunday? There was, uh, I'll give out one. I'll give out one prop. Um, I played Tyler Higby over four and a half catches, uh, over 51 and a half yards. I thought that was a bargain number because as I mentioned before, since he took over from Everett, he, he's averaged seven catches a game actually a shade over seven and uh, about 90 yards a game. So those two numbers came out. They they look great. I think this could be a situation where it's kind of like Darren Waller. You know, they set him at four and a half, five, and he ends up having seven or eight or nine. It just depends on whether the corners can, can shut those guys down a little bit. And then uh, Goff ends up dumping it off to Higby and, and Higby, is more than a dump off guy. He, anyway. he is. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and they looked, they looked to him in the red zone. Just like you said, is this, it's a good play because I could see woods and maybe cup having a, a little bit of a harder time getting open against, you know, Buffalo does their defense can make big plays. I feel like their defense is going to play better this week than what we've seen in the last few. And that's when Higby is the guy that Goff has to look to. And he has been an absolute monster from the second half of last season. The Rams, and you know what, I think that that has something to do with some of the Rams' early success this year too, is they just, they're, they're a little more simple and a little more basic in how they are approaching it. And so middle of the year, 
end of the year You might be able to figure this team out a little bit But the addition of using the tight end a little bit more They've got a couple options in the backfield they're just, They don't feel as predictable Even though they're basic you know, it used to be, oh, Gurley's back there you, We gotta kind of give Gurley some touches we, we've, we've got these weapons here, we're gonna throw the ball I, I like what they're doing They kind of feel New Englandy in, in how it's it's very simple It's very, it, there's there's just a lot of variations on things that they're running So this could be a good week for uh, for Higby and, uh, and especially if the Rams wide receivers aren't able to get open there and, Paul, those Bill, and those Bills linebackers are out If those Bills linebackers are out With the tight end? That matchup is awesome Right, think of what Gusecki again Did last week Eight catches a buck thirty Okay, that sets up very well for Higby Paul, I know uh, you Were talking some sports on uh, In ESPN affiliate the other day Vegas Insider um, All over different shows here and there But for some of the folks that would like to Maybe follow along with you on social media or, Or catch some of your thoughts Here or there, where could we do that? You can uh, find me on Twitter at Paul Bovey. Uh, and of course, I'm on covers. I'm on Vegas Insider. Uh, feel free to hit me up. Uh, Twitter, uh, follow me. I do post some plays there. As you know, Gino, I like to dabble in the horses and I'm I'm frothing, at, uh, chomping at the bit because I have to check the second race at Belmont. I bet the four horse. <laughs> Thank you. You, get, you gave me more than an hour of your time. You're one of my favorite people to talk sports with. We could uh, we could sit here for hours and go through. And um, I'll uh, I'll definitely have to pull your arm maybe week six, seven, a few weeks here from there to check back in again and uh, and do the same thing. Sure, Gino. Thank you so much, Paul. Really appreciate it, folks. Don't go anywhere. We're gonna take a quick break on that's what G said, but plenty more on the menu. Hey, big thank you to Paul Bovee for helping us out with NFL Week 3. Let's talk, uh, before we recap my picks, let's talk a little bit about Thrive Fantasy. So, Paul is a big prop fan. He likes to bet props. Are you someone who likes to play a lot of props? If that's the case, you really need to check out this new app. It's called Thrive Fantasy. Download it on your phone, on your iPad. They have weekly contest for football they have daily contests for all sports and they actually have Thursday contests for football specific Sunday contest Monday night contest their their major contests are usually around 20 to 25 dollars and they will have anywhere from two thousand five thousand ten thousand dollars this weekend 7500 for the Thursday night football you can get involved already in week you know, NFL Week 3, $15,000 in guaranteed prizes for your Sunday. They have touchdown-only contests. So if you like Daily Fantasy, this is a new app that is based around prop betting. And if you use the promo code G-I-N-O when you make your deposit, promo code G-I-N-O when you make your deposit, you will get an instant bonus all the way up to 50 bucks. You got to deposit at least 20 If you deposit $20, you will get an instant bonus. 20 right back in Promo code Gino Deposit 50 You'll get a 50 right back in there All the way up to 50 instantly Right back in your account You'll have you know tons of opportunities to look around and play in different contests If you Maybe football isn't necessarily what you like to play Don't worry They've got basketball, baseball, golf, League of Legends You name it They've got it there Thrive Fantasy Check that out Promo code G-I-N-O $30,000 guaranteed prizes just on Thursday, over the weekend, even more Thrive Fantasy promo code G-I-N-O. So for me this weekend, some of my plays. Um, week one, I was 2-5, and five, crappy week. Week two, bounced back nicely, 2-1. and one. 
So we're up to four and six. Uh, here are the games this week. First game: Raiders, Patriots, under forty-eight. Giants plus the four. Houston plus the four. Bills minus the two and a half. Detroit plus the five and a half. And the Saints Packers under fifty-two and a half. Those are my plays for NFL Week Three. Let's get into horse racing and let's go to Churchill Downs for Friday. So a couple plays for you at Churchill, Belmont, and at Santa Anita on Friday. And then we'll go, same thing, we'll go through our plays at Churchill, Belmont, and Santa Anita for Saturday. So at Churchill on Friday, we begin in race number four. That's the first play of the day. These are made in 40,000. They're going to go a mile and a 16th on the turf course here. I'm going to go to the number five, Alexander Hamilton. He was tracking on the inside. He was fourth. Just a couple lengths out, he was traveling really well, but he had nowhere to go. He got shuffled back a couple lengths. He got an opening, but it was just too late. He ended up finishing a very good second that day. That was his first start since January. That was his first start against Maiden Claimers. He was also going a mile and an eighth that day. Now you get a slight turn back. I think this is going to be a great, great spot for him to just run the same type of race, and he's right in the mix. If he takes a little step forward, he's going to win this. The number five, Alexander Hamilton. Anything around three to one will be worthy of a win wager there at Churchill on Friday in race number four. Let's get you to race number six. Throw the one extra effort into your exotics. There's just not much other speed in here. This gal has legit sprint speed. I think they're going to send hard from the inside, stepping on the grass for the first time, stretching back out to a mile. Give me extra effort in here. The number one from the inside. Make sure to use in all of your exotics. Make a win wager if you get around four to one or so. Let's jump to race number eight. Let's go to the seven here. This is breaking news. The eighth race is a first level allowance. There's a pretty good amount of speed. You'd imagine with the, you know, Spycraft, Energizer is is pretty quick. Julius is very, very quick. And Caudry is going to be close up. Breaking news has been more of a stone cold closer in his career. But with the blinkers coming on, I'm hoping he can just sit a little bit closer. Just a little bit more mid-pack than dead last. So the number seven, breaking news. We'll make a win wager if we get anything around seven to two. Make sure to throw breaking news into all of your exotics. And we get to race number 10 here. I'm going to go to the four, Spidey Shrill. I love this cutback from a mile to six furlong. Spidey Shrill has shown she can sit. She can pass horses. She was your beaten favorite going longer at Ellis last time out. But she ran really well. Going six furlongs, two starts back. And she's run well previously at Churchill. She feels like she has speed to put herself in in the position. And now, because she's cutting back, I think she will have the opportunity to sit off a little bit more and maybe not get so caught up in what's going on early. So the number four, Spidey Sherl. Four plays over at Churchill on Friday. Fourth race, the number five, Alexander Hamilton. Don't worry about Aaron Burr. In the sixth race, the number one, extra effort. Anything around four to one makes sense. In the eighth race, the number seven, breaking news. Anything around seven to two. And in the tenth race, the number four, Spidey Sherl. Anything around seven to two makes sense on that one. Get those past performances out for Belmont for Friday. We got three plays for you for Friday, September the 25th. And the first one is going to come in race number two with the number six, Bella Rose. That is a horse who I think is going to get bet a little bit off of the morning line. Now, she's a little light on numbers and figures. She was sitting six in their last race. She was mid-pack. She was too deep. And she just didn't have a whole lot late. That was against Better. That was her first start in a few months. And what I like is 
you'll notice she she is going to put a couple starts together. And the last time she put two starts together, she ran really well. And that was when she won back in November of 2019. She's back in for 40. She's back with three-year-olds. She's going to go second off. I think there's plenty to like about Bella Rose. Expect to see her closer today than she was in that last start, too. The number six, Bella Rose. Throw her in your early pick fives. Throw her in your exotics. Around 10 to 1 will make a win wager on the number six, Bella Rose. Move to race number seven, and let's talk about the number five in here. And that is Sky Snow. She was wide all the way around in her last start. She was up to briefly take the lead, but she just lost a ton of ground. That is not the type of trip that wins on the grass. That was the first start since April. If she just runs a similar similar race, she's going to be a little fitter. I don't think she'll be sitting as wide. Sky Snow, the play for me, around 7-2. to two, We'll make a win wager and maybe even a horse to build some late exotics around. We go to race number 9. And a horse who I want to make sure that you throw into your exotics is the number 12 in here. Honey won't. I don't think he wants to be as far back as he was in his last start. You'll notice he can come from way out of it. He has a few times. But some of his better races are where he's just sitting more mid-pack or maybe a few lengths out of it. I think that's going to be the case today. I don't expect them to be going as quick early. And with the outside draw, that'll sort of force him to get more into it early so that way he doesn't get hooked wide. Let's like let's hope to see him sitting a little closer today. Honey won't the number 12 in race number 9. We're going to use him in all of our exotics. We're going to make a win wager at anything around 7 to 2. We go from Belmont Park on Friday to Santa Anita on Friday. Get those past performances out and let's look at race number 1 now. Because the Santa Anita meet has been delayed. There were fires in Southern California, very bad. The air quality was was awful. Lots of people were were being evacuated, losing their homes, and this was happening literally a mile or two away from Santa Anita, not far at all. They postponed the meet for a week. We're going to get Santa Anita opening up on Friday, September the 25th. And how about this? The first horse in the first race on Friday at Santa Anita, after postponing the meet for a week because of fires, watch me burn. That is eerie. That is eerie for the first horse back to be called watch me burn. Number two, fantasy heat. But watch me burn was the one that was just one of those, wow, we see weird, you know, things like that happen in horse racing all the time. And it happens to me a lot when I'm like, I'm watching a TV show and there's a... a a phrase that's said of a horse that I'm looking at And it's so bizarre Because it's not like something that is just a normal word And it, you look down and you go Did I, Do I have to bet this horse now? But that, that's just something that uh, Was at least worth mentioning Watch me burn Talk about the hunch play in race number one to kick things off Let's move to race number three for uh, my first play It's going to be the number eight About our time He's coming in from Remington Park Lone Star prior to that He's going to go for his third start of the, fern, uh, the current form cycle And he gets away from a horse named Share the Upside who defeated him in his last two starts. That is a stakes winner who's won three in a row. He's also coming out of a race where the horse right behind him, Empire of Gold, came back to win next out. This is just a really consistent turf sprinter. He likes to win races. He was really good on the dirt, and recently he's transferred that form over very nicely. I think about our time, you know, the the two-back race on August the 10th, there were three next out winners that day. There's plenty of things to like about about our time. Three to one, we'll make a win wager on the number eight. Make sure he's in all of your uh, your plays in race number three. 
We move to race number four, and I'm looking at the number six here, Big Hoof Dynamite. He's just really consistent, and it feels like he's going to get a great trip in here. Right next door, you got Promise Nothing, who's pretty quick. You'd imagine you're going to get some speed from Braun. You'd imagine you're going to get uh, you know, Sign of the Cross sitting pretty close in here. Polar Wind is going to be close. I think Big Hoof Dynamite, Pratt keeps the faith, and this is not the strongest race in the world. He's very consistent. Just put a line through the grass race a couple starts back, and you're left with over and over a horse who just shows up and gives you his all. That's Big Hoof Dynamite. Anything around 5-2 to two will make a win wager, and uh, he's a horse to beat for me in race number 4. Uh, race number six is a stakes race. It is the grade through Chillingworth. Kahira's going to be really tough in here. She's won three in a row. I just don't know who goes with her early on. If you're playing against Kahira, maybe it's the one message. The rail draw concerns me a little bit. I expect more from Mucho Amor in here, who had some trouble last time out. And then the seven Amuse uh, to the outside. It would be two over one four seven for me, but I'm, I'm not really going to make any plays in the sixth race there. It, it just looks like Kahira... Would be tough unless they're going to just shotgun Message from the inside And then if those two end up battling Maybe it is Mucho Amor or Muse who sits the Who sits the trip So 2 over 147 In the 7th race The Eddie D, the grade 2 I'm going to LT Gray Terrible He's a little low on the numbers And figures, but when he Wins, he's so impressive And he has legitimate excuses For the races where he didn't run well And he's he's gotten in trouble He's very honest This might be a little tough for him So I don't want anything less than 4-1 to one. I would like even a little Probably 5-1 to one would be great But if he's at 4-1, to one, that's fair I, just, I think he's better than what his, some of his numbers And figures would suggest so El Tigre Terrible, the number six in race number seven, but we don't really want to get shorter than that four to one. And then we move to race number nine, the optional 40, first level allowance, going a mile on the turf course here. Let's go to the seven, Aunt Luby, who tracked on the inside in her last start. She was third. She, she was within two lengths. She was saving ground. She angled out nicely. She tried really hard. She just got nailed late for second. Now she's going to go third off the long layoff. Who scares you in here? There are no monsters. Nobody terrifies me. If Aunt Luby is anything over 7-2, to two, I'll make a win wager. She hasn't won on the grass, but her form is fine. Her last effort is better than most what most have on the grass in, in defeat when finishing third. Give me Aunt Luby at anything around 7-2. to two. So it's Santa Anita on Friday, third race, the number eight, about our time, around three to one is what we'd like there. In the fourth race, the number six, Big Hoof Dynamite, at around five to two. In the seventh, El Tigre Terrible, at around four to one. And in the ninth, Aunt Luby, the number seven, at anything around seven to two. Horse racing fans, a website you have to check out, oldsmokeclothing.com. This is horse racing t-shirts, hats, um, with horse names, we got polo shirts, hoodies, long sleeves, zip ups with the names of big races, slogans. You can get custom designs on there. And right now, for the Preakness, which is coming up, they have some limited edition tees up right now. They've got the Preakness Weather Vane that you could check out. And there's also the Black Eyed Susan t shirt, Old Smoke Clothing.com. When you use the promo code GINO, free shipping on your order. 
free shipping when you use that promo code G-I-N-O. Go to OldSmokeClothing.com if you are a fan of horse racing. You're listening to this horse racing section of the show, so I'd imagine that you are. Maybe it's uh, your mom or your dad, your brother, your sister, your friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, husband, wife, one of your kids that loves racing. This is a great opportunity for you to check out a website where you can get them some birthday gifts, some Christmas gifts in advance. And if you use that promo code Gino, helps me look good with my sponsors and it saves you a few bucks with the free shipping. Oldsmokeclothing.com, a couple new t-shirts to check out up on the site this week. They've got the limited edition Weathervane Pimlico and they've got the Black Eyed Susan t-shirt. Don't forget promo code G-I-N-O, free shipping on your order. Let's move to Saturday. For Saturday racing, let's start with Churchill Downs. We have four plays for you over at Churchill on Saturday. They begin in race number three. Yeah, it's just a small field, but the money will likely be spread out a bit in here, and I'm going to go to the outside with the six bye-bye Birdstone. There's not a ton of speed in here. Six and a half furlongs is a little too far for him. He went six and a half last time out. You can see in his in his running lines that just feels like a little farther than where he's best. He's going to cut back from six and a half to six. He gets the outside draw. There's not a lot of other speed in here. He's hooked, he hooked a couple tough groups. He faced better last time against 25. And then look who he faced in May and in June. He hooked CZ Rocket, who has won four in a row and then won the grade two Pat O'Brien. He... On June the 14th was one of five Next out winners that day behind Chaos Theory and Battle Station He comes he comes out of some tougher races He's drawn well in a race where there's not a lot of other Speed in here by by Birdstone top selection in Race number three we'll make a win wager if we can Get anything around five to two And he might be a horse to single in and Key in on some of your early exotics Let's move to Race number six at Churchill and it's going to be the the number five in here that I'm going to be taking a look at. Pledge of Allegiance, second time starter for Paul McGee and for JMS. He broke slow towards the rear in his debut. He was outside. The top two choices were battling, and they were close. They ended up, you know, battling for the win. And he, they were sitting close. He was coming from way out of it that day. The race shape was just against Pledge of Allegiance. He ends up just missing third. You get more distance. You get you know that second out improvement, that second out fitness level. And there's more pace to chase in here. With Moyler from the inside, full authority. You'd imagine those two are both going to be flashing a little bit of speed in here. Lake Nimrod from the outside is going to be sitting close. For me, it is Pledge of Allegiance, the number five in race number six, anything around four to one, we'll make a win wager on that one. We move to race number eight, and it's going to be the two Sanus, who was making his U.S. debut, was making her U.S. debut on August the 16th. She was a solid third behind Kahira, who we just talked about a little bit earlier, who's running on Friday at Santa Anita, and Kahira has won three in a row. In the in that same race, Proud Emma, who was second, came back to win. Next out and won a stakes race So it was a good effort for her first start In the year, it was her first start for McCarthy The first start in the US um, not, Excuse me, it was her first start since February It wasn't the first start of the year But the first start for McCarthy, first start in the US First start in quite a while Since February, same you know point with the layoff And you, you look at the way this race Is going to shape, shape up With Gold Standard, with Take Charge Angel With Talk Vuv to Me, with Harmless There's going to be pace to chase in here 
I think Sanu saves ground from the inside. Anything around five to one or so will make a win wager on the two in race number eight at Churchill on Saturday. We get to the stakes race for Churchill Saturday. It is the grade three ACAC Warriors charge from the inside is going to be really tough, but I'm going to make a win wager on Everfast, the number 13, if we can get anything around 5-1 to one or so. He's been a, a really good horse for this barn. His, his start at Oaklawn in April was excellent. He showed a lot more tactical speed. He comes back in May and is a really good second behind Owendale. They try the turf. Okay, just put a line right through it. No, no... You know, no reason to hold it against him. Just didn't like the grass. Comes back, wins the first level allowance race, and then on August the 29th is in the four go, and it's a sloppy racetrack. And he's been awful on on the slop. Everfast has some legitimate excuses for a couple of the races where he threw in clunkers. He's been good. He's been improved for this barn. He's shown more speed from the outside. He's going to have to use some of that versatility. Maybe he sits close. Maybe they take him back. Give me Everfast at anything around 5-1. to one. That is the number 13 in race number 9 at Churchill on Saturday. So Churchill Saturday. Race number 3. The number 6 by, by Birdstone. Anything around 5-2. to two. In the sixth race, the number five, Pledge of Allegiance, anything around four to one. In the eighth race, the number two, Chanus, anything around five to one. And in race number nine, the 13, Everfast, anything around five to one. We'll make a win wager on that one. We go from Churchill on Saturday over to Belmont on Saturday. Four plays for you over at Belmont Park, and they will begin in race number two. Now, this one is just a pure pedigree play because we didn't see a whole lot from the 10 in the career debut, but now it's going to be a, a Koshi Kwa who's stepping on the grass for the first time, and the dam was a grade three winner on the turf. There were two multiple winning turf sibs. I like the fact that Irad jumped aboard in the debut, and he comes out of a productive race. Plenty of reasons to think that you will get second out improvement here Going long on the grass with the number 10 in race number 2. So anything around 4-1, to one, that'll be the play in race number 2. We move to race number 3, and it is Jam Star for me, the number 7. She had a solid debut. She was she had some traffic trouble in a small field. She was kind of in between horses, and she was not having the best trip. Others got much better journeys. Now she's drawn to the outside. She's fit. She's got that seven furlong race under her belt. Now she stretches out to the mile. Seven furlongs is not an easy distance in which to debut. Gimme Jam Star, the number seven. Anything around four to one will make a win wager in race number three. We turn now to race number eight, which is the grade three, Noble Damsel. To me, the most consistent horse in this field and the one to beat is Feel Glorious. And if he's anything over, if she is anything over five to two, uh, we'll be playing her. She's just so consistent. She is, you know, we look at her last few races, you just look at her overall form. She always shows up and puts a good effort in. She was behind Mean Mary a couple starts back in June. Then in July, she was one of two next out winners. There were two next out winners in the June 27th race. Last time out, she was a, a winner at Saratoga. With Blowout, with Shalur, with Sweet By and By, there should be enough speed for Feel Glorious to get that mid-pack to the back of the mid-pack type trip and, and then come closing late. You know, my sister Nat's a next out grade three winner who she was right behind. I like the races she's coming out of. Love her consistency. Like the way this race shapes up for Feel Glorious at anything around five to two. 
And the same price as we move into race number 9 For the Vosberg that lost Volatile And is now a much softer spot But you look at this race, to me It's Engage and Frenzy Fire We haven't seen Engage since the Breeders' Cup Where he was a, a good fourth that day And he is a great at stakes winner But he has not raced since November And people will see Frenzy Fire And and they'll look eh, his, his recent form hasn't been as good well, I would disagree. Last time out, he was in the slop, put a line right through it. This horse does not like the slop. Look at how all of his races in the slop have been. Look at how his numbers and figures stack up in those races. He's just not the same horse on and off track. Two starts back, he was fourth in the Vanderbilt. He was behind Volatile, Whitmore, and Mind Control. Any one of them would be favored in here. They're, those are three nice horses. There's no shame in being fourth behind those three. Prior to that, he won the true, the true North. Prior to that, he was in the slop in the Carter. Easy race to put a line right through, and he was behind Vacoma, who was awesome that day. I think Frenzy Fire is the horse to beat. I think he's the class. He, to me, makes so much sense at anything around 5-2 to two in here. Because I have questions about Engage. And those would be the only two I would use in, in some late exotics. It would just be Frenzy Fire and Engage. Now, knowing six furlongs, there's like no speed in this race. For a six furlong race Stan the man isn't really a sprint speed type He's got more route speed Funny guy isn't really a sprint speed type Neither is True Timber So Forensi Fire could be really really close in here The five Forensi Fire Anything around five to two So at Belmont on Saturday In race number two it is the ten At around four to one Race number three the number seven Jam Star At around four to one Race number eight the number nine Feel Glorious At around five to two and in race number nine, the number five, Forenzi Fire, at around five to two. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What She Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Their website, sarahcandles.com, C E R A candles.com. And when you use the promo code G I N O, it'll get you 10% off of your entire purchase. This is a different type of candle, and it's a different candle company because their goal was to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, high quality that everyone can enjoy. You got the all-natural soy wax free from the toxins found in paraffin wax, which is used by all the other leading brands. The all-natural soy wax will hold your scent longer and will burn better than the traditional paraffin wax. Lead-free, cotton wicks, completely natural scents, 25 different scents available, three different sizes. Heck, they even give you instructions on how to clean your candle, how to trim the wick to make sure it's safe and the best burn that you will get. That promo code G-I-N-O Gets you 10% off your purchase This is a great gift for someone SarahCandles.com Promo code G-I-N-O Over to Santa Anita For Saturday And we'll go through the uh, the Stakes races here at Santa Anita In race number 1 it's Aqua Foam Sea Form Shame for me The number 3 who's cutting back From the grade 1 Del Mar Oaks Going a mile and 8th to five and a half furlongs This is the trip that she wants She's a good turf sprinter She just tried against a tougher group Going too far last time out She'll cut back She'll be sitting probably just off the pace in here Behind a speedy horse like Bulletproof 1 I like Aqua Foam Aqua Sea Form Shame The number 3 in race number 1 At Santa Anita on Saturday The third race is going to be The grade 2 Chandelier The 2 year old race And Princess Noor is going to be really really tough in here uh, She's chalky um, The the only horse I might try to, to use or, or maybe would try to beat her with Would be Miss Costa Rica But Princess Noor going to be very tough In there 
in race number seven, I uh, I would go to the number two, the very consistent Maxim rate, who is another one who I like to play horses sometimes when I watch their races and the figures come up a little bit low because I, I know, I trust my eyes sometimes. Um, and, and Maxim rate is one of them where she's just in great form right now. She is seemingly taken, taken a nice step forward at the age of four. She was good at three, but she was just a cut below some of these. And she I think she's improved enough to where she can beat some of the Phillies that were beating her and some of these older mares that might have been beating her last year. So Maxim Rate is going to be the top selection, the number two, anything around three to one. We'll make a win wager on in race number seven. In the eighth race, it is going to be the number eight, Wasperin. His debut sprinting didn't show a whole lot. Comes back, stretches out. He's kind of in between horses early. He moves wide. He's three wide and still in between. And then towards the top of the lane, he's three deep, and he looks all in. But he's a real grindy type. He kept going. He ends up going by the favorite late. They add the blinkers to get him a little more focused. He's the only horse in this race that has a a win going long. This is not a strong renewal of the Grade One American Pharaoh. The horse who would have been the favorite in here, Doctor Chevelle, they've said is not gonna is gonna be put up and till till next year at three. So he's not in this spot. And Wasperant feels like he can jump up and win this race. I think the outside draw, he shouldn't be too far out of it. He's sort of grindy. He he feels like he can run all day. I like the fact that he's gone long already. Wasperant, the number eight, anything around four to one, will make a win wager there at Santa Anita. On Saturday In race number 9 It's going to be the one Proud Pedro He had legitimate trouble Doesn't really talk about it in the running lines But he was steadied He was kind of stopped He had to wait And then he ends up moving And he just With a a different trip A better time I don't want to say better time to ride Because there was nothing really wrong with the ride He was just doing everything he could To get out of the trouble And I think he got a little bit late Making his middle move Proud Pedro If he's around Six to one or so. I'm I'm making a win wager on him. Throw him into all of your late exotics, and, and then we get to the awesome again, the grade one awesome again. Maximum security is going to be the heavy favorite in here, but take the one on one is really quick, and sleepy eyes Todd is really quick. And mid court has shown that he has the speed when he wants to to push maximum security. This race on paper really feels like it sets up great for improbable. You're not going to get rich because he's probably going to be six to five in a race where you'll have two horses taking a ton of money. But I prefer improbable over maximum security. He has just been an awesome horse this year. He really has. He's improved. He's shown that he can sit and relax. He can go longer than we thought. I like improbable there. To beat maximum security at Santa Anita on Saturday. So in race number one, it's the three Aqua C form shame. In the seventh race, it's the two Maxim Rate. In the eighth race, it's the eight Wasperant. In the ninth race, it's the one Proud Pedro. And in the tenth, it is improbable for me at Santa Anita on Saturday. A massive stable duel week coming up, and they're gonna have a free roll. On Saturday at Santa Anita So you just heard me give out some some plays at Santa Anita You can build your Santa Anita Saturday lineup at Stable Duel And have a chance to win cash money For free So you probably heard me talking about Stable Duel for a while now But you maybe you've never played Maybe you said I don't know Why not now? All you have to do is go download the app It is free to get involved uh, If you have any questions You can let me know I will help you 
build your lineups, and there will be even more help because I'm going to be on a live stream Saturday morning with some of the folks from Stable Duel, with Bree Mott, also with Sean Alvarez, who we've had on this show before, and we're going to go through building a lineup, some overall thoughts on what what some of the things I do when I'm building my lineup, and then some specific horses to use in our lineups on Saturday. So Saturday in that free roll contest. But that's not it for Stable Duel. There's a lot going on. Friday contest, $10 entry at Santa Anita, and then a $25 top, uh, top 10 contest at Santa Anita for your uh, 25 entry. There's also a $5 contest at Pimlico. On Saturday at Woodbine, there's a $5 contest, uh, $5 entry. Then they have that free roll contest, $0 to enter. Just download your app, create your stable, and if you have any questions, let me know. There's also a $50 contest that's for the top five on Saturday at Santa Anita. And then on Sunday, there's a Woodbine contest, that's a $10 entry. Santa Anita contest, there's a $25 entry. And then they have the $5 entry that is for the aftercare charity. The proceeds of that game are given to Aftercare. And Stable Duel has had an amazing month where they have been giving back to the OTTBs and to Aftercare with the Play Race Adopt Photo Contest. They've given away two different packages each week to of Stable Duel prize packages to folks who have... Shared and played along in the contest So Stable Duel giving back It's the final Aftercare charity game on Sunday With the $5 entry at Santa Anita Where all the proceeds are given to Aftercare charity And if you haven't been listening There is about a week and a half left To get to silver status When you are playing Stable Duel And when when you see your stable It'll tell you your status If you get to silver status You will get a $25 game credit That can be used in next Saturday's Preakness game So make sure to play in as many contests as you can And keep building your status Get up to silver status so you can play in that Preakness game and you can get that $25 credit Next week Saturday morning around 12 12.30 Eastern time we're going to have a live stream It'll be Bree Mott, Sean Alvarez Maybe one or two others And we'll be talking stable duel Everything going on on those stable duel Saturday games Next up, we have a special treat for you on this week's Old Wrestling Rewatch. It is Ralph Strangis who joins us to talk a little bit about the AWA and about his really crazy career and and some of the, the awesome things he's done throughout. So we talk AWA Team Challenge Series. We talk about some of his life calling hockey and all the different jobs and, and some of the stuff that he's come across. This is a fun conversation. And then after we go through, um, so we, we talk with him for about 40 minutes. Following that, we have a, our normal discussion where we go match by match and we break things down with Andrew and with Darren. So Enjoy the conversation with Ralph And then after the uh, the match by match Play by play With Andrew and with Darren Okay we've got a treat for you this week On the old wrestling rewatch I gotta give Andrew some credit Or I guess the credit or the blame We'll see how it goes afterwards When we bring our, uh, our guest in Andrew uh, I have a feeling this is gonna be a fun conversation Because we have a, a crazy, unique show to discuss. This was your pick. We're going to be talking about the AWA. So set it up a little bit for us, Andrew, and bring in our guest today. With uh, We've got Andrew and, and Darren here, like always. But this is, I think, the first time we're going to have someone in sort of an interview format. We're going to talk with him about his background and how he got into wrestling this show. And then afterwards, we'll do the uh, the uh, the match-by-match.
match kind of breakdowns that we normally oh. do. Andrew, go for it. <laughs> Much like the Rock Supergroup, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, we all have our little roles and the different things that we bring to the table. Darren loves watching the technical stuff. He's a huge Bret Hart fan. Gino likes the technical stuff, but he's certainly into the more showman aspects of professional wrestling, stuff like The Rock and Steve Austin. And I'm the David Crosby of the group because I handle the weird stuff. And a couple of years ago, the WWE Network uploaded a pilot that the AWA shot for something called the Team Challenge Series. On a whim, I went online and I searched for one of the voices of the AWA Team Challenge Series. One thing led to another. And we are so happy to have this guy with us. Ralph Strangis, the play-by-play man from this pilot. You yeah. may know him better from his years with the Dallas Stars. Ralph, welcome uh, to the show. We are delighted to have you with us. So that's how it happened. So, <laughs> yeah. so you're just off in one of your weird little Crosby sort of wormholes. <laughs> and up comes this odd 80s wrestling thing. I might have been wearing a tracksuit. Or zebra pants with yep. a tuxedo jacket. Those were <laughs> my go-tos back in the day. Uh, but honestly, Andrew and uh, hey guys, Gino, Darren, thanks for having me. Um, I this was a long time ago. We're talking about I think it has to be. I was just trying to remember this. Like eighty-seven or eighty-eight sound right to anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 88 or 89. Yeah, I think they were getting ready to go play it like 89, 90. They were trying to 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 push it towards the end, like the last little dying bit of the AWA. Yeah, yeah, and that's hence that who is the cheapest, youngest kid in town? You know that'll work (laughs) for nothing, and we can just sort of lock him in this studio and make him do whatever we want. Um, And yeah, that's how I got the gig. Actually, the audition was funny. Okay, so. As I rem- remember this, because I'm going to have a better recall. I'm going to have no recall on the matches. Let's just say that in advance. Well, I shouldn't say no, but it's you're going to have to kind of help me with it. The um, so I'm sitting at home as I as I do sometimes, as we all do, and I'm a young broadcaster. But <clears throat> excuse me, I'm also freelancing as a videographer. I'm shooting video yearbooks for high schools, and and I'm doing high school hockey games on cable TV for no money. And I'm running around trying to scram and football games, all that, all the stuff you do, you know, you guys know, like the stuff you do. And so I had done some voiceover. I did, I, I got a weird deal where I got a Ford car commercial in British Columbia and it paid like a hundred bucks. And I went in and did it. And the woman who booked me said, Hey, you're, you like sports, don't you? And I went, yeah. She said, uh, well, uh, I heard that they're auditioning for this, uh, AWA. Do you know what it is now? Full disclosure, I knew what it was, but I wouldn't say even a kid in Minneapolis. I mean, you know the big names and you know, you know, you know about it because the history there. I mean, that's all these guys, you know, my cousin went to school with Flair, you know, and and, you know, Hogan's around and Ventura and all those, you know, like, I mean, it was a big and 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 and, uh, and the Ganyas. I mean, they they treated me great. But anyway, so I said, OK, she goes, we'll call this number. And I called this number. And they said, what do you know about wrestling? And actually, I didn't, I was like, and I didn't know anything, really, right? I said, oh, I've been a fan my whole life. <laughs> they said, oh, well, uh, great. We got, an, we got the audition going on. Um, you know, what have you done? And, and I kind of told, okay, come on into, they gave me an address. 
And they said, tell the guy at the door, you know, whatever. So, so it turns out to be a strip joint in Minneapolis. <laughs> and the producer's name was Nick. And I, I won't remember. So Vern's at the end, right? Everybody's gone. Okerlund's gone. I mean, everybody's gone. The only people who are left are the last, the Ganya loyalists, you know, like Zabisco was there and um, uh, Slaughter was still there. Uh, Enos and Bloom were still there. Mm-hmm. You know, they had uh, uh, the trooper was still, I mean, Zabisco, they had people, you know, there. And I think they probably had some young talent that they could get cheap that, you know, McMahon was going to say, all right, we'll let Vern train them and I'll do the same thing with these guys. Right. So, um, so that was kind of what we were left with. And then I came in and they just wanted the show to look different and be different and all of that stuff. So we shot the pilot. They had a ring, they had a ring in the strip joint, but it was, (laughs) it was the ring they used. They would, um, auction the women off to be wrestled in baby oil. This is a true story. So (laughs) this is true. This is true. So they had a ring for that. And that's kind of some of the stuff we shot in the strip joint. And then like all the segment heads would be there and I'd be standing, you know, with two girls beside me and, you know, like that, two young women. And we'd go to the next thing. Okay. So, so that was, that was kind of it. So afterwards the manager comes over and he says, uh, Hey, I was watching you there. He goes, yeah. He goes, you want a job? (laughs) And I go, I go, what? He says, do you want a job? Do you want to, do you want to work here? I said, Doing what? I'm, you know, I understand it's the women who do the heavy lifting <laughs> work. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, no, no. He said, we need somebody to auction the women off in the ring <laughs> on Monday nights. He said, because we got our guy, but he can't do Monday nights. He'll train in. Okay. So I did it like twice, but it was, it, it's still going back over, you know, 40 years really of, of doing television and radio and all sorts of different things. It was one of the hardest jobs I ever had because they never thought you got enough money for them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the customers were not very polite. Like this was a bad you're just, setup. You're you know? just like, the, like the, the fall guy go wrong. You're huh? the fall. Yeah. 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 And I'm in the middle of it, you yeah. know, in the face and of everybody's it every yelling at me. And I said, no, no, no. But so that was how, you know, they, cause I, I won the audition and they, they, they brought me back to do it there. And, um, you know, I, I mean, they wanted something different and, 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 you know, uh, upbeat. And I mean, as you can tell at almost 60 years old, I'm still not lacking for energy and this is what they wanted. So it was yeah. me and Greg and Eric Bischoff were pretty much the air talent guys for the local show. And then we had the other stuff, the Rochester matches too, but the very, I'll, I'll, I'll end, I'll end it with this. The very first wrestling match I ever went to, I was the analyst on the ESPN show working with Lee Marshall, the wow. great Lee Marshall. Yes. The very first match I ever attended. And then I also called that match later into a monitor for the local and the regional shows. So it was, it was great. It was great fun, but boy, was I in over my head. Well, that is just, I, I, yeah, I know I, there, I have I know. so many follow-up questions I'm sure and I'll know. try to yeah. drill it down into yeah. some of the main ones because we've all worked in television. We've all had the assignments where you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. And that just seems like five or six wait what <laughs> assignments all oh, yeah. rolled into one. So oh, yeah. you get hired to do this. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, 
We've got the ESPN show, which, by the way, is how I became sort of an AWA historian because I watched ESPN Classic an unhealthy yep. amount of times, and they had all of the episodes running on a loop. You DVR the show whenever it popped up, and over the course of a month, you'd get the entire library because they just run them in order. Well, yep. so they decide, okay, we want to try something else. We're doing the Team Challenge series. First of all, team challenge I, need, series. I, need I can't even this. remember the team challenge. Series. Yes. When you, you emailed me and said, punch the button, Greg. And it was stuff I hadn't, that hadn't crossed my brain. <laughs> <laughs> like I saw that push the button, Greg, or punch. Was it push or punch? Punch, punch the button, the yeah. button. Punch, punch the button. button, Greg. And I saw it and I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, is that, if, is that, is it that really happened in, in my life? You know, if that brought up a Vietnam type flashback, I am so Mm -hmm. sorry. But no question. No question. The question that I do have for you is I don't know if you've seen the WWE's documentary on the AWA, but they did a segment with anyone who was anyone with the AWA at that time. Everyone claimed they had no idea who came up with the idea. I need to ask this question, not just as a wrestling fan, but as a broadcast journalist. (laughs) Do you remember whose idea this was? The Challenge Series? Yeah. Well, here's what I'm going to say. I'm not sure, but my recollection of those days, Vern ran it. Vern was very much still running it. Um. You know, much to his detriment, I think, you know, eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he was in control of everything. My guess is, and Vern, by the way, was really good to me. Like when they hired me, he'd say, ringside Ralph. And <laughs> the first day he comes over, I mean, it's Vern Gagne. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a Minnesota guy, right? Like this, yeah. this guy's a he legend. He was huge. Yeah, a big le- deal. He was a legend. He did national Geritol commercials. I mean, he was an Olympic wrestler, like. This was a this was a big star for Minneapolis. And I was there with Vern Gagne and Greg, you know, the high flyers, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I knew enough, okay? And remind me, I'll tell you my story about having lunch with Nick Bockwinkle, which Ooh. to this day is, yeah. But I would guess this. I would guess that 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 Nick, the producer, and Greg, because Greg was very much involved in trying to, how do we make this better? How do we make this fresher? Nick and Greg and uh, and maybe Eric Bischoff, but Nick and Greg for sure. Cause, cause Eric wasn't really, you know, I think he was, Eric was, was understandably upset that he didn't get the job I was hired for. I had no idea going in that that's kind of what it was, but that's exactly what it was. And if I was him, I'd have been, I'd have been irritated because I had no experience. Right. But I would say that. And then I would say they went to Vern and said, what do you think? Because it, I, I, I have a recollection of there being a buzz about there's something we're doing here mm-hmm. that's going to be cool. So that's that's what I remember. And it's funny because when you look, when we're going back and watching it, in this era where there's no fans in the stands, it's eerie that we went back and watched this show right now because it looks like if we had the, this pandemic at that time, this would have been something that Vince would have been trying to do right then. And so I sort of applaud Vern towards the end with just, hey, we know that we're not going to make it anymore or doing what we're doing. We have to try something different. This was just right at the very beginning. And, and a lot of what we see, Ralph, throughout is green screen. 
It's just right at the very beginning yeah. of, of that technology with green screen. So you could tell that this was, you know, producers or people that were dealing with TV that were just had like a new toy that they wanted right. to use. And it's it's funny when you look at the way like right now today in WWF when you turn it on and they don't have fan they don't have fans there they have the fans from their computer they call it the yep. Thunderdome it's it's a weird a weird look it's like they were trying to do something like this obviously to save money and because they knew they couldn't really sell as many tickets and as many shows but I, I don't think the idea was necessarily the worst idea in the world it just like anything, it's it's got to be execution. You need the right talent. You need the right group of guys. It's oh, all yeah, got to work. All, you know. You know, it's all about talent, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have yep. to have the talent, and you have to have a competitive tournament, and you have to have. You know, it, it's got to make sense, right? So, you know, when you don't have talent, I mean, talent, talent is talent is a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, ta- talent is talent means everything pretty much, and we sometimes forget that talent really does have all the leverage. You know, the NFL without players and the, you know, and, and even, you know, even, even some of the announcers and you know, all of that stuff going around, like, it's really good because they're really good. They're really, really good at it. And so I think going, you know, going back then, I also remember though, um, Andrew, that, that they, that they traditionally shot matches in TV studios um, to keep some costs down. The way, the way we would do it was, and what I remember is, We'd go down to Rochester once a month or once every six weeks or something. Rochester, Minnesota. And it was the Rochester Civic Arena or whatever the heck we called it. <laughs> you know, whatever it, <laughs> uh, it might have been, you know, it might have been the Tokyo Dome. I, you know, I don't remember. But <laughs> so, you know, and Vern, <clears throat> Vern had a long association with him. So I'm sure he got a good deal in Rochester. Uh, and they could make money in Rochester, right? Those matches were always full, okay? So we'd go in and I would be like the color man with Lee Marshall. For, what was I doing as the analyst? That's the first place where I walked in and I was like my first day there on a, it was a Saturday and they shoot about, you know, whatever it was, they shoot five shows or six shows worth of matches. They just run them for hours and we just keep doing them. And so they said, well, uh, I said, where's Greg? I want to talk to Greg. And they said, he's in the bathroom. He's talking to a couple of guys. And I said, oh, okay. So I walk into the bathroom and I turn the corner and Greg and a couple of the wrestlers kind of look like they're working something out, right? Well, this is, this is, this is pre pre Vince McMahon, and you know, and so it was. Uh, you know, I heard the kayfabe, kayfabe, and I had never heard that. You guys are all, you guys, of course, the wrestling guys know what that is. <laughs> yes, yep, yep. right. So, yep. but I, I had never heard it, and I thought, wow, what's that? So, ultimately, and it wasn't until I don't think a couple of years later when I really figured out what it was. I mean, I, I figured they were working stuff out, but when I sat at that ring that first, that first Saturday ringside watching that happen in front of me i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe how physical it was i couldn't believe how good they had to be to do it i couldn't believe how violent it was like it's it's a real sport i don't care what they worked out i mean it's you got to be able to take a pounding you got to be able to you know fling yourself in all kinds of different places and it's it, it was really hard so uh so i really you know i enjoyed um i enjoyed kind of seeing that but like I say, the very first match I called, I was the analyst with Lee Marshall for ESPN. And then we'd take the shows back. And they had to be sent out to different markets. Um, and so we would redo the play-by-play. I would be the play-by-play guy, and Greg would be the color man. And we'd call it off a small monitor in the studio out in Golden Valley. And it's he had an office building with a little, like a camera, you know, like a little studio built in a, in a little office building. And, um, and we'd sit there in our stools. And we do the stand-ups or we do an interview or something. And then we'd look at the monitor and we'd call these matches. But 
But now, remember, this isn't on ESPN Championship Wrestling, and this doesn't accrue points for this or that. It's going out to the Minneapolis market or whatever, or the mid, you know, the upper Midwest market, and they got to know this. So it was as a young sportscaster, it was unbelievable training. I mean, I was in there, yeah, you know, four or five days a week. Oh yeah, like on the national and the local, you got to, to, to see like the difference in how everything works, like a exactly like a total crash course and everything. Total crash course, and they paid me. And as I recall, they were, you know, again, I didn't make any money, but but they weren't. It wasn't. They weren't totally cheap with it. So yeah. I, you know, it was, it was great. And I got, so I had to learn how to describe things multiple ways, you know, from, you know, from like you do it once, then you do it again. Then, Oh, that one wasn't very good. We have to go back and recut it. And so, and now this time you'd see it two or three times. So now, you know, what was coming, you get a little faster. And it was, like I say, it was, it was, it was a sports casting camp for me. And then having to learn a sport, cause I had to kind of figure out how to research this stuff. Cause I, you know, I didn't really know anything about it. And that was pre-internet days. So, you know, yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. And the Ganyas were so good to me, even gave me the sleeper hold, you know? So <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. And now, hey, Ralph, it's, it's Darren. It's, it's funny. You, what, what you just mentioned, I was actually just going to ask you, you know, when, when you get a job like that, where you really don't know a whole lot about the industry. And like you said, it's pre-internet days. What did you do to become prepared and learn about the industry so that when you walked in on day one, you had some idea about what you were talking about? Well, when I went in and got hired, <clears throat> the day I got hired, Darren, Vern came in and like, that was pretty cool. Right. And so he's like, uh, what do you know about this? And I go, honestly, I said, I don't know as much as I should. He goes, okay. So he turns around, he comes back and he hands me two books um, and I don't have them anymore. <laughs> But they were two United States wrestling books, manuals. And, you know, Vern, the reputation that Vern had all those years was his guys had to know how to wrestle. You know, they had to know the basics of Olympic wrestling. They had to be real wrestlers, you know. And and again, you can argue whether or not that was a great tactic in the showbiz era. And, you know, nobody really cares if they can wrestle because, you know, what do they look like and can they jump and, you know, and what, what are their interviews like? But his guys had to wrestle. And so he said, I want you to learn all those holds and I want you to come with me, you know, come in and ask me questions and stuff. <clears throat> so that's what I did. And I did that with Vernon. I did it with Greg, um, you know, and then I got to know the referees, you know, who were also just, you know, guys hanging around and they had a striped shirt and they'd put it on and they'd walk into the ring. And, um, you know, and the, you know, some of the office people there too. And I would, you know, you couldn't really research the, the athletes. So I would, you know, when they'd come in for something, I'd just take them aside and I'd ask them a few questions. Or when I'd see them at Rochester, I'd say, hey, can I just ask you, like, you know, where are you guys from? What's the deal? What's your thing? What's, you know, and and so I had little notes. I didn't have a lot, but I had little notes. And um, I think if you see my first match, it's just a guy, a 20, you know, a 20, how would it be? 25-year-old guy sitting ringside for the first time in his life going, What? wow oh man like that was all that was my expert analysis wrestling but yeah so that's so yeah it was i mean because i i think the whole business of sports broadcasting is preparation i mean look this is pre-covid 19 all the rules are out and i don't know what i kind of know what the future is going to look like but we don't have to get into that today but like you have to know your subject you have to research it you know i mean you can't you know this isn't this isn't like Kingston High School television. You know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. Andrew? Thanks, you know? Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you have They're to really know. You, you have to. You have to really know what you're doing. 
you have to find out who these people are and what and you know and what they're doing. So um, and what they're all about. That that's really the business. And that's I learned a lot of that there, you know. And then so that when I moved on to, you know, after I folded professional wrestling in Minnesota. Um, I so how, yeah, give us the, give us the, how do you get the transition over into hockey? Cause then you have, you know, a couple years, maybe three, four years later, you, you land the biggest gig of your life and, and probably with the one that everybody here, here would know you from. Yeah. But, but no, I had to ruin a, a woman's professional volleyball league first. Oh, so yeah, I couldn't just, listen, I couldn't just shut down the AWA. You know, I wanted to take some of the women out with me too. So, you know, this really nice, this really great league, um, uh, it was called uh, Major League Volleyball, MLV. They had teams in Los Angeles, Dallas, Chicago, Minnesota, New York. I think they had six teams. And I got to be the play-by-play guy for two of them. And um, uh, Chicago, and they did their games at DePaul. And then, uh, and then Minnesota, and they did their games at a small college, Augsburg College, if I remember. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it, was, it was really fun, but that came from I kept – the, basically, my route was I just kept doing games, and I just kept saying yes. And when the the group dub the, the group W Cable TV in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, Go Bears, said, "Hey, do you do volleyball?" I gave them the same answer I gave the AWA. Of course, I do volleyball. <laughs> what, are you kidding me? I said, "Why?" They said, "Well, we're doing high school volleyball game of the week, and and we just happened to be where like the greatest high school team ever was in the state of Minnesota." So I got really good with a really good team kind of at, at doing it. And then that led to, you know, well, there's this Olympic thing that's coming in, this exhibition match, and I guess we're going to do that. So do you want to do it? Yeah. And then that's where the organizers were. And they came over to me and said, we heard that you're like the only working volleyball play-by-play man in the state of Minnesota. And I said, I think that's probably true. And they said, well, do you want to work for us on the Major League Volleyball side? So I just – you know, I just kept showing up, you know, and I just kept trying to learn about it. And I kept talking to players and coaches and, you know, and, and looking up stats. And I kept doing probably, I was probably doing 50 high school or college football and hockey games a year. And then add another, I don't know how many tennis matches. Cause I did the state tournament too, for the Minnesota state volleyball tournament. But then when I crashed that league, then I was sort of like, you know, I'm almost 30. Um, the North Stars just got sold. My dad knew the guys who owned it. He was a lawyer in Minnesota and a, and a real sports guy, and he represented the Gunn brothers. And I could never get him to get me in the door for an interview. Not once. And now the Gunn <laughs> brothers left. And I'm like, well, now what? And this guy, Norm Green, buys the Minnesota North Stars. And, uh, yeah, it's been, a hell, it's been a hell of a life, man. I, I'm sitting at home one day, as we do. You know, we've talked about this. We all agree on this. I'm sitting there and the phone rings. I'm not bothering anyone. And I'm thinking to myself, because I'm still doing these games for no money and I'm, you know, trying to piece enough work together video wise to just keep it going. I'm thinking, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make enough money doing this. And I got a call from a friend of mine named, well, I didn't know him very well, named Dan Mandich. And Mandich used to play for the Minnesota North Stars. He was a defenseman. But his wife sat next to my best friend's wife on an airplane a few months earlier. And so the couples became very good friends. And Dan got my number from my friend Tony and called me and said, hey, and I'd met him once. He said, hey, I don't know if this interests you at all. But this guy, Norm Green, just bought the Minnesota North Stars. They said, yeah, I just saw him on TV. I watched the thing on TV the night before on the news, the interview with him. I said, yeah, I just saw that on the TV. He said, uh, well, 
<laughs> they called me and asked me if I was interested in being a radio analyst. But I'm, I can't travel. I can't do that. I can't take time from my business now. He was a financial guy. And he said, you know, why don't you call him? And so I, I put on a smothering campaign. Man. <laughs> I, I said, well, it's not play by play, but it's, but it's on the air with an NHL team. And I knew that Al Shaver was the guy's name. It was a play-by-play guy in Minnesota for a very long time. For all, the whole time they were there on radio, 26 years. And he was the guy I grew up listening to. And, um, and he was, you know, he was my hero. And so, I, so he had had health issues the year before. And I knew they, they hadn't traveled a, an analyst for the past previous couple of years. And Norm Green was coming in. And he wanted to fire everybody. But they <laughs> talked him into keeping Al. Which, you know. So, uh so they needed somebody to kind of, you know, Al was old and he didn't want to go to morning skate anymore. And he needed somebody to make dinner reservations and, you know, and do the pregame and postgame and all that stuff that he didn't want to handle anymore. And I went in and it was me and a couple of ex-hockey players and a newspaper guy that wasn't very good on the air. And <laughs> I got it, you know, like I got it because I, you know, I, I knew my way around communicating yeah. and they liked that I was a play-by-play guy in case something happened to Al. They didn't have to fly somebody to Edmonton or something. So then, of course, I, after folding the AWA, after sending Major League Volleyball to a premature grave, <laughs> no, I wasn't done yet. I was not done yet. It was time now to take the National Hockey League out of the state of Minnesota and bring it with me to Dallas, Texas. Oh, that's fantastic. The power you've wielded in the your career. I have wielded. Over that's one heck years. of a cross to bear, man. Now, boy, you, yeah, that's just I, I, unbelievable. I, 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 I don't know if we're finished with wrestling. That. I don't. I, I don't know if we were finished with wrestling because no, I didn't want to. Yeah. Okay. No, I, th- I think right. that's pretty much it. So okay. with wrestling, at least. So you go to Dallas with the stars. Yeah. They wind up getting really good in the late nineties. Yeah. Just gonna say it. Brett Hull's skate was in the crease. Let's be real. Oh, here. that's right. You're the Hashik guy. <laughs> well, yes. I have an answer for that one too. Fan. I have a I have a slightly apologist answer for that, but it's also not a bad answer. And Go the ahead. whole goal in '99 in overtime is, from the Buffalo side of things, they had scored one goal in the previous nine periods of hockey against the Dallas Stars. Their power play was 0 for its final 17. Awful. And their top five scorers in the regular season contributed a total of two goals and were like minus 10 or something. So it's, you know, when you, when you get in a position where a bounce or a call can beat you, sometimes that happens. However, on the call, it was that, that call enforced all year, but it was always a two man call. It was one guy was shooting and one guy's skate was in the crease. Very rarely was it one guy with the puck with a skate in the crease. So it was funny, but it did change. You know, Brian Lewis lost his job, the head director of officiating in the National Hockey League. Um, protocols were put in. You know, they blasted those doors open, right? And on the ice, and the media was on the ice before anybody checked anything. And now there's protocols in place, because I've covered Stanley Cup Finals since, where, you, where the doors are basically held shut by guards and you go on the ice after the NHL says, we've reviewed it. Everybody's fine. Go ahead. So, yeah. So that was a very famous goal. But, yeah. No okay. 
I cut you off, but go ahead. No, it's it's okay. That might get that cut was... from the thing anyway. We're just, we're just going <laughs> not so at all. Long. No. This is going to be, no, because we, like, we, we knew when we reached out to you and we could kind of tell with the back and forth that you're going to be a good interview. But now after talking to you for a little bit, we're going to have to bring you back sometimes to oh, just yeah. talk hockey even. Sure. You know, like sure. we can just go because you're definitely someone who we can, I feel like with your history of the things you've covered, just so you, you have so much much knowledge all around. So you, then then you're... You're pretty much set, you know, once you get that job, right? I mean, it's just you're at the well, point where you've got the, the one of the jobs you've wanted your whole life, and you're in a great situation. Right. Well, Al didn't move <laughs> to <laughs> Dallas. He was done, right? He's like, I'm, I'm not I'm old. I'm not moving to Dallas, Texas. Um, so, and then we still had some unwinding to do in Dallas. It took me another couple of years to get finally into the play-by-play chair. But there I stayed for about 20 years. and uh, And it was awesome. And like you said... Um, uh, I think it was, I don't remember which one of you said this, but, uh, but by committee, we, we are so perfectly there. The Cowboys had finished their three Super Bowls. Those guys were gone. The Rangers were terrible. The Mavericks weren't on anybody's radar. <clears throat> and in we come into this vacuum in, in the Metroplex. And there's a sports radio station in Dallas with which I would think you're familiar, the ticket. Yep. And the ticket is, you know, a Marconi winning station, all the, t- you know, it's one of the great sports talk shows, sports pro- talk, sports talk stations, probably in the United States, you know, it is, but it got there the same year we did. And it was just a bunch of guys trying to figure out how to put radio on and nobody, you know, none of the big boys, the Rangers or the Mavericks or the Cowboys, they didn't want anything to do with them. And they didn't understand this new sort of dynamic yet. And, and they came to us and we went, yeah, man, let's, let's do this together. And it was great. And so we, you know, we built it up and Tom Hicks came in and you know, I, we could do a whole segment on Tom Hicks. Um, but Tom Hicks came in and, and bought us. And then at one point on the Texas Rangers, and he put a lot of money in, into a pre cap era and we were loaded and we had some great years and one in 99 and now they're back. And I'm very confused as to exactly why they're back and how they're back, but they're back in the Stanley cup final. I couldn't be happier for them. Ralph, we we Andrew and I were going back and forth a little bit earlier today too. We um we've been having such a fun time talking. We're gonna have to bring the mood down just a little bit. But you said it wasn't the the worst of news that we were reading through in the article. I'm someone who's a cancer survivor. I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma myself yeah. ten years ago, uh, and we read earlier that you have uh, been talking about now how you are are suffering with us. Tell us a little bit about what you're going through right now and uh, how things are going for you. Well, actually, as you can hear, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, yeah. um, I, I will tell you that I, I did rest up for this today because good. I wanted to be, I wanted to be fresh as a daisy. We're you know? on. And, um, you know, I, I feel, thank you. I feel daisy fresh. Um, I don't know what that means, but okay. So, <laughs> you sound it too. Gino, you sound you know, it too. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, Gino, because this, this really struck me today too, is I got a couple of my bills today and, you know, I'm in California and, you know, I, you know, I'm not without means and I've done okay. And I've got good insurance and, you know, I'm not yet at Medicare, but, and my good insurance paid an extremely high number of all the bills so far. I mean, I couldn't be happier that it's worked out the way it is. And I understand, you know, that when you were going through yours, you fought a hard battle with like, you know, insurance and that, right. Yep. It was a really in between point of my, like when I was still, yeah, right before the Obamacare stuff kicked in. And so it was, in the only eight months of my life when I didn't have insurance was when I got sick, <laughs> which is, yeah, which that's, is really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I, you know, and, and I think about that because I think about all 
the people in the gaps, you know, and especially now, and I know I don't, don't want to get into politics or anything, but, you know, especially with, you know, with, with all the things that are happening mm-hmm. and, you know, and so much of healthcare tied to employment and all of that, that, you know, it's, I, I just, I'm so grateful that I have good insurance and I'm hopeful that everyone and people like your case where you just kind of got gapped and that happened to me one time, um, you just kind of got gapped and, you know, like, that shouldn't happen here. No. You know, it just it just shouldn't happen. I mean, we should all we should all be able to we should all be able to get get taken care of if we're sick. And so my mine is um, early stage bladder cancer. They got it early, but they had to do a couple of surgeries to clear the way. And I don't even want to tell you what that what, what, like. It's just Ugh. I mean, I, you know, um, it's just. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, <laughs> I know. I know why now my grandpa wore the, had the pad on his lazy boy chair. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, but no, I mean like, like it's, I have great doctors. I'm getting great counsel. I have my, my daughter moved in with me because she was in LA and you know, her business shut down too. And so that's actually worked out good. So she's here and we hang out together and we watch hockey together and I try not to drive her nuts. And you know, um, it's, uh, it's been great. So I'm, I'm, I start my cancer therapy here in a couple of weeks cause I just had two surgeries and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very great. Every day I make a list of the 10 things I'm most grateful for. And I do it every single day. Great exercise. And it's a great exercise. And that's another one to pass along to the kids, you know, like, listen, you know, and start with there's toilet paper on the roll. You yeah. Know? yeah. Ser- seriously. Like, ser- because you know what? I used to do that years and years ago. There's toilet paper on the roll, and then COVID comes. Right. And, there and there's no TP like, anywhere. <laughs> hey, I might not have toilet paper on the roll tomorrow. Like, you know, be, be really happy that, you know, like I, today I wrote down, I, I drove my car like to the drugstore with my daughter. She let me drive today. You know, it's about eight minutes away, but you know, I did that. And I, you know, I was really thankful I could drive my car and I'm really thankful I can go on the air with you guys here because it's so fun to go back through all this stuff. And, uh, and it's, and it's so fun to, to talk to people who are interested by it um, because it's just a part of my life that there, you guys are out there, man. Those AWA people are out there. Oh people yeah, are, they're out there. Ringside, and no today, ringside, Ralph. Man, you're a cult classic. I'm still figure. ringside, Ralph. So many still, people. Yeah, I got the license plate, R N G S I D E, Minnesota plate from those years, and I got it still. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. That oh, is yeah. great. Ringside, so we got to ask oh, yeah. too. There, there was one more because we're all big horse racing guys, and a lot of oh, my, yeah. I, we we met each other all the three of us covering horse racing in different ways, and you have a connection to horse racing with your dad. I have a couple of connections. My father, uh, my father, a very a long time horse racing enthusiast. We used to go when we'd go visit when we'd go visit my relatives in California. You know, where there was always at least one trip to, you know, Bay Meadows, um, um, Golden Gate Park, um, Del Mar, Hollywood, and of course, yes, I know you're familiar with it, Santa Anita, um, and that's where we'd go, and it was and it was really fun. And so my dad who was a business attorney in Minneapolis, he died two years ago. Um, and he was a, he was a really awesome guy. Like he, he taught me the value of being prepared before you go into something and taught me the value of hard work and taught me, you know, to, to be passionate about what I'm doing. And he had a passion for horse racing and he owned horses for a while, but then he just, he could, he could see that the track might be losing some stuff at Canterbury park. And he really helped them keep live racing at Canterbury. And get new ownership in, and it 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 really worked out well. He was the chairman of the Minnesota Racing Commission um, for I think two separate appointments, um, and was till he died uh, two years ago. 
And uh, my brother has sort of picked up the ownership mantle by a nose stables. Um, Robertino Diodoro. Do you know nice. him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's his trainer. And they had a big win this year. Uh, Amazing Vision won 100K stakes in Arkansas. Wow. With, yeah, and missing his right eye. Amazing wow. Vision. So, yeah, in a business where, listen, as my Uncle Jimmy used to say, don't get into any business where what you own eats while you're sleeping. <laughs> um, in that business, they have actually had a pretty good year, pretty good last couple of years. So, uh, so anyway, um, so yeah, so, so horse racing, I went last year to receive the posthumously the, uh, the hall of fame that my dad's in the, in the, uh, Canterbury park hall of fame, Ralph Strand is senior. And, uh, so they, uh, I went last year and picked up the plaque and, and, uh, and was able to give a speech on behalf of my dad and his, and his, uh, love for horse racing. And, um, it was, uh, you know, it was awesome. And then of course, about a month ago, <clears throat> I get a text from my degenerate gambling friend, uh, Eddie Olchick. Eddie does, oh, nice. you know, right, yeah yeah you you've but you might have seen him on nbc um edzo texts me uh a, a, a phil a, a you know what do you call it? just a picture he had taken to the screen of the ralph strangest race there was a ralph strangest race like a month ago i didn't even the know mo- the memorial yeah. or whatever yeah yeah, yeah the yeah. memorial or whatever and uh you know listen during covid i check myself all the time i'm like these guys they're running the track they got a million things to do they want to make sure they get Ralph's race in before, you know, something happens to the track shuts or whatever. And they're not going to remember everybody this year or what, wh- whatever happened. Right. So, but so, so I, of course it's Edzo, you know, um, that, that sent to me, he goes, uh, you know, cause of course on a Tuesday night or whatever, he's betting, you know, he's Canterbury. betting $12,000 yeah. <laughs> race in Canterbury. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, well, Eddie, and the other thing about Eddie Olchick is he won the pick six once at Hollywood. He won for 600 grand. Eddie Olchick did. And, of course, the line we all use is, Eddie, that's great. Only four more and you're even. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so yeah, I've had a, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been around it my whole life. I always enjoyed going out. I've uh, been to some of the great, some of the great, the great tracks in the country. And, uh, you know, Belmont and I've been to Keeneland. And, you know, uh, uh, it, it's, it's awesome. Like, I, I really, I, I enjoy that, too. So, and I know you guys are big into this. So, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Ralph, I mean, this was this was such a treat for us. We got to just go around the horn with you, go through your history, talk a little bit of, of wrestling. But honestly, you're such an interesting guy. I would I feel like we could we could do this for two or three hours and still have so much more like meat left on the bone. And um, we haven't even talked about the Beverly Hills knockouts, for goodness sake. Oh, <laughs> Beverly Hills knockouts. Oh my gosh. The Beverly more Vietnam me- flashbacks, Ralph. Oh <laughs> give me the other ones. What were the other teams? Okay. This is what I've got. This is the match lineup, and then right. we'll, we'll let you go. Right. But the match lineup, Tommy Jammer against Tom Burton. Okay. The Destruction Crew, which was Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. and Wayne the Train yep. Bloom. Yep. 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 Against yep. Jerry Lynn and Ricky Rice. And Jerry Lynn, of course, had a tremendous career. He's all in a bunch of different Hall of Fames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the yeah. Beverly Hills Knockouts match was Slaughterhouse Sean against the Blonde Bomber. And, po- and you were so funny bomber, in that, throughout yep. that match. You, you, there was a, the woman outside was named, um, Mustang Miss Sally, Mustang Sally. And so you kept calling the, the, the uh, slaughterhouse Sally and, and Greg was laugh. It was hilarious. Oh my, it was so funny. <laughs> it was so Sally. funny. And, and there were no rules. It, yeah. Whatever rules. There oh were, yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah. And, yep, and yep. you even, um, Greg, it kind of explained the rules at one point, And then the woman just throws her gloves off. 
and starts wrestling and you're like greg what's going on he's like i don't even know it was just <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was great oh yeah um, well cocktail candy divine too i yeah. remember uh, there was uh, there was a King of the Hill match with Paul Diamond and Colonel. You could never do this gimmick now, De Beers. De Beers. And the Colonel main event was Sergeant Slaughter against the Terminator, who was the subject of a Darren question last week when he saw the card and went, "Who the hell is the Terminator?" <laughs> oh my god! Well, I remember too, though. Some of the other, I know you guys, we got to go, but but no, like no. they had Vern had Vern had uh, a really good relationship with like people in town. I mean, he'd been booking events for a long time. And so the Met center let him do one last one. And it was, uh, I don't think we had 5,000 people in there, but we, you know, we friggin', uh, put the curtains up and pulled it up and, you know, and, uh, and it looked pretty good, but Rick Flair was there and nice. Rick, Rick Flair wrestled. And I was there at ringside to watch Rick Flair wrestle. Oh, that's and awesome. That was awesome. And I got to do some ring announcing too, standing in the ring. And, you know, and, and, and that's fun. Um, that to me was actually like, like, you know, I want to be Michael Buffer when I grow up, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty cool stuff too. So I, you know, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a great career fellas. I, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things and I'm really happy that you let me share some of that with you today. Can we, is there anything like social media wise, or is there anywhere out there where anyone wants to can follow along or see how yeah. you do check in on you, anything like that or no? Right now I've been taking a social media break. And you know what? It's fantastic. It is. It is. It nice. is fit. I mean, you got to have it for commerce. And I had it for commerce for a while. And, you know, I'm just, I don't watch news. I don't, you know, I'm really. It's nice to check out. It is. I'm, flo- I'm, I'm checking out. Well, we'll I, have to I, check in with you here every now and then to keep well, people updated on what's going on with you. We'll check in on the the NHL. We'll get your opinion on other sports stuff going sure. out there. Anything that you're watching, because man, this is this is a blast, and I, we would really love to have you back. And even if it's a, a an AWA show or anything at all, I mean, we're sure. gonna, we're going to hit you up on that. And thank you so much. We'll be praying for you. We'll be thinking uh, thinking about you and the family. And if you need anything at all, someone who's been through some of the stuff that you're going to be going through, please reach yeah. out to me. I'd love to, to help you, you out in, in any way and yeah. share some, that, some tricks of the trade. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh it's nice to have all these people being so nice. So thank you. And, and, you know, good luck with your show and everything too. And, you know, like I say, the guys as, 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 uh, as my very dear friend, the late Dave Strader used to say, play by play man extraordinaire. He'd say, remember fellas, there's no I in team, but there's two eyes in invoice. So keep working hard. <laughs> keep working. Oh, that's great. Thank keep great. So that's much, what Strader, Strader used to say that. I'd say, where are you going this week? He's, oh, I got to do a basketball game for you. He goes, remember, there's two eyes and invoice. And I say, I understand. I understand. Go, go. Hey, so, great okay, great yeah. way to sign off, Ralph Strange. Just <laughs> uh, awesome, man. We yeah. look forward to talking to you again. You have a great rest of your week with the family. Hope you feel better. And uh, this was just such a treat for us. Thanks so much, Ralph. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Folks, don't go anywhere. We will be right back with the uh, the play-by-play. We'll go through the, the show, the matches, and we'll, we'll really break down and have a good laugh with that. So a big thanks again to Ralph. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. 
Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino, besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if, like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. And a big thank you to Ralph. Uh, Andrew, great job getting Ralph. Uh, you reached out to him. Literally, you just said, told me, you're like, I, I reached out to Ralph asking him if he had any memories of this. And he, you could tell he's, he's such a great interview. He's got so much to say. He, as he mentioned, I think he loved being able to have a, spend a half hour, 45 minutes with us kind of looking back on, uh, on this, this part of his life and, and a little bit of a, a history run through it, through him. That, that was a lot of fun. Good job, Andrew. Thank you very much. I had I had no idea what to expect because I found his website and I sent him this email. And the first line of the email is, I understand this is a total long shot, but hear me <laughs> out. And usually when you start an email like that, you don't hear a whole heck of a lot back. But I put punch the button, Greg, in at the bottom. And as he mentioned, that was a flashback. Yeah. And it was such a blast being able to talk to somebody who was there being able to get as definitive an answer as we could to something nobody's really been able to answer or admit to as far as who started the Team Challenge series. And, of course, going through everywhere he's been in his career. Just a fascinating guy. That was really cool. That was. So yeah. now we got all the nice stuff out of the way, Darren. Um, we, know Andrew, <laughs> we know Andrew was picking on us here with this one. Um I got to say, we, I think, uh, Darren, I texted you before we, we recorded this show, and I said, effing Andrew with us <laughs> watching this show. And I think your response back to me was, this is one of the worst things I've ever watched. And it, it's, it, But it is one of those things, DZ, in that it's funny. You get some laughs out of it, and it's not long. It's, it's not even 40 minutes on the WWE Network. You can see what they're trying to do. 
it, but it's just one of those things where it's like, it's it's something that Vince might have been able to pull off with more money, with better technology, getting the right people. It was just the AWA, the last stitch. There's not a lot of money still out th- out there for them, and they're trying something. And this was just, I mean, this was here's the green screen. Let's see how much we can do with this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. If this thing was two and a half hours, there's a good chance that I would never speak to Andrew again. Um, <laughs> look, so, having, so what you're saying is, Ralph, I, yeah, having Ralph on was, was great. Uh, and, and, it almost, and it almost redeemed Andrew. For well, so just but, to be clear, what you're saying is, once I pick AWA Super Clash 4, which came after this, I should expect like anthrax in the mail. And you'll never hear from Darren except for the times we talk on this. Like he's never gonna respond to a text. It'll be like the tweet, it'll be like nothing. the bands that don't talk to each other yeah. until they're and just perform. Yeah. The best way the best way that I could describe this. I, I think we, a couple of months ago we did uh, we did SummerSlam '89. And we talked about Zeus being in the main event. And I think my quote was, having <laughs> Zeus in the main event was finally getting the hottest girl in school to agree to go out with you. And you go out with her a couple of times. And on the third date, the clothes start to come off. Things get hot and heavy. And you find out that she actually has a really hairy back. <laughs> this is going on a date with the ugliest girl in school, knowing going into the date that it's going to be terrible, and you can't possibly figure out any way that it's going to be worse until you find out that she's actually a serial killer, and she eats her victims, and you... Are what's on the menu for dinner? <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll be able to go through it, you know, as we do, and we'll let, we'll just get right into it, and we'll go segment by segment. So this I will is, say one thing really wait, quick yeah. before we start. Okay, I'm gonna give a nod to a place we all used to work at. They have every once in a while for horses that look completely hopeless a challenge wherein a host is forced to say one nice thing i am (laughs) going to take this challenge i am going to say one nice thing about every segment on this show and then i'm going to join in with you guys in burying it but again this is the awa historian in me because i will admit as bad as this was and as bad as most late 80s awa stuff was there is some stuff from the espn classic library that doesn't suck so it draws you in a little bit if you find the right episodes. I've got a soft spot for late 80s AWA, as stupid as it sounds. So off we go. Punch the button, Gino. <laughs> okay. So we're, we're opening package is, this is the AWA Team Challenge Series. And the, this was supposed to be a pilot that they were going to hopefully be be using to send to ESPN syndicate this was something that the, the the idea behind the team challenge series was they're constantly losing talent now to the bigger companies and so by having this team set up they could have different different wrestlers on each team and and it wouldn't be so weird when there's wrestlers moving in and out on different teams it just it's it's a lot easier when you have this fluid in in motion so the uh this is Supposed to be the pilot. We have an opening package. 
American flag and Then some cheerleaders and the women in bikinis The foxy boxing And then a flash of some, uh, some wrestling matches We see a look at, Sar- at Sergeant Slaughter in the ring And then it's Vern Gagne And he's sitting down out by a lake With his dog And he, he welcomes <laughs> us in And he introduces wait, the wait, team Don't forget, don't forget the, like, what looks like a kayak In front of him Just like half poking out Bobbing up and down in the yes. water it's bizarre, like the setup You can't even see, it'd be different if they were back a little So you could see the boat, or he's sitting in it With the dog, or something, but he's just There's like the corner of it coming up And um, he says The Team Challenge series with new Technology is going to bring you the action Like never before, and then he he's Even teases coming back out of retirement And he, he kind of chuckles about that uh, Then we get Into the Control room slash production tr- It looks like they're in a production truck honestly It, it looks like they're in a truck but it, it could it's be a called room satellite base Gino Sat- say it satellite, correctly Satellite base <laughs> with Ralph Who we were just talking to Ralph Stranges and Greg Gagne And they welcome us to the brand new AWA the world's greatest Wrestling we're gonna have Beverly Hills Knockouts and new exciting Rock and roll a new era in pro wrestling And Gagne tells the fans that we are going to feel the things he felt in the ring For 16 years And here we go Our first match is Tommy Jammer against Tom Burton And the one thing you'll notice So Tommy Jammer when he's making his way to the <laughs> ring And I actually I listened in to Eric Bischoff talking about this last night You can find it, it you know, if, you, if you're just looking up like the Team Challenge series It's one of the things that, that pops up And he talks about how it was basically just two green screens on each side And the wrestlers just walked through it Pretended like they were reacting to nothing Literally nothing Now remember this isn't like now When people are used to doing green screens And they've gotten These are wrestlers not actors too They they have no clue what really they're supposed to do And respond and, and, and react And the thing that we find very quickly is There's one One Roll of B-roll they have one roll of B-roll of the fans <laughs> And it's the same freaking people On every entrance that they put in Doing the same celebration It's like a six second little cut that they have That they just show every time somebody enters And you don't notice it the, as much the first couple matches Because they only have one entrance You know, they only, it's first it's just Tommy Jammer And then the second match it's only the, the Destruction <laughs> crew entrance But in the in the final match it, Or in the in the main event match When you see both come out It's funny because then you really notice that The guy is like getting up, falling out And he does the same <laughs> thing again It's just hilarious um, Well, what's even, what's even better Is that what they tried to, it, It's the same exact image Mirrored both yeah. sides mm-hmm. Mirrored so it's like it's almost as if they said, "Hey, you know what we could do to save a buck? We only need to take this one piece of B-roll and if we flip it backwards, maybe nobody will notice." Now, the unfortunate thing for them is that there's a guy wearing what I could only describe as I don't know, a yellow version of a Where's Waldo outfit <laughs> who sticks out like a sore thumb on both sides. And it's like, wait a minute. What are the chances that there's a guy in a yellow and black plaid button down on both sides? So what do you do in modern technology? You pause it. And when you pause it, you go, 
holy shit. It's the same, the same image on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> It is hilarious. It's, uh, uh, it, so, so Tommy Jammer comes down to the ring, and it, it is funny though when you look at it. Like I said, nowadays this is like something that a company would try in a COVID era at this time. If there was like COVID in 1989 or 1990, and they couldn't, this would have been something that they would have tried using the green screen like this. It's just the the, yeah. the other thing. The you shots. Know, we left. We left one thing out, Gino. We okay to mention. On those green screen screens, those images, it's not bad enough that it's... There, that's where I was going. Cool. Yes. <laughs> it's in fast forward. Yes. <laughs> They're moving at a thousand miles an hour. It's not like this I mean, it was the 80s. Cheering. It was the 80s. It was professional wrestling. You had to think there was some cocaine back there for the fans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the AWA was known for its hospitality. <laughs> so, and the, the stock footage that they're showing is not people in an arena. They're in a bar. It's people at bars or at restaurants, like a convention, even one of them. Restaurants like coast tables. to coast. Restaurant. And then they even mention it. Ralph mentions it at one point, like later on in the show, that this is being piped into sports bars all, o- all over the nation but, or whatever. Which you know, you know, make- you know what I figured out. So that that B-roll that you're talking about that looks like it's in a sports bar. If you if you're big on Twitter and you know some of like the, the gifts that people use to describe certain things. So. There is a famous GIF that that you could take any particular event and put it on the giant screen behind the bar, and there's this massive reaction in the bar when yes. like something great happens. Yes, I finally believe that we have uncovered the origins. The first one of that bar, <laughs> and it is the B-roll to the this. AWA Team Challenge series. <laughs> This, I mean, it is, it, it's unbelievable. So, so they get into the ring. So Tommy Jammer gets down to the ring after his entrance, and and in in the ring is waiting for him is Tom Burton. And I will say, I don't mind the way that the ring, the ring actually with with no fans in the back, the way they darken it out. It's kind of like what they do at UFC fights or other places, and they got kind of like a smoke going in the background. Like the look of the arena for not having fans was an absurd. You know, it, that was one of the least absurd things on, on this show, you know. And and to be honest, this this is a really quick match. And the the action in the ring is some of the least absurd stuff that we see. I don't and I don't even mind the the trying to have it in sort of like a a first person perspective or giving you shots that are a little more close up that you'd never see, that kind of thing. It just this this match, Andrew, it, you know, it's it's like we think Kevin Dunn has does a lot of cuts. Oh my goodness. This is just cut, cut, slash, cut, boom, boom, clap, boom, slash. Here's fans, slash, fu- fans, boom, cut, more fans, boom, cut. I mean, it's just th- this match goes two minutes. What we get at one point, we get a couple nice arm drags by Jammer, but Tom Burton calls a timeout. <laughs> and the referee gives him the timeout, which is hilarious. He gets down to one knee and he says timeout and the ref comes over and actually gives him the timeout. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go back to the opening and I'm going to do the say one nice thing <laughs> thing for the, the segments that we, that we talked about here. So for the opening, the flag was intact. They didn't burn the flag. <laughs> for Vern's segment, 
The dog was a very good dog who is deserving of many pats on the head. Well behaved. Yep. And in this one, Tommy Jammer actually has an okay look. He's a good-looking guy, muscular dude, mm-hmm. can move a yeah. little bit. AWA saw something in him, and at their final big event, Super Clash 4, which I mentioned, legendarily awful show. Darren, I'm just saying it at some point down the line, not in a couple of weeks, more like a couple of months when I've built up enough goodwill to be able to piss it all away. I'm going to wait a couple of months. He wrestles and beats Tully Blanchard, who was in AWA because he had washed out of uh, NWA and uh, WWF at that point, and his father, Joe Blanchard, was the authority figure at that point. So they have a pretty lousy match, but Jammer goes over. Now, this gives us the first instance of the slow motion replay. Ralph yells, punch (laughs) the button. We get a body slam. Jammer hits the mat. And it sounds like there's an earthquake. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, special effects in 1989. Now, the match, as you mentioned, wasn't horrible. It was a squash match. It was what it was supposed to be. Jammer gets a power slam, gets a big splash for the win. Greg has a line at the end that is one of many, wait, what lines when he calls Tommy Jammer, and I'm quoting here, a man's man and a lady's dream. What? (laughs) Greg is so, like, just plain, right? He's so plain. He's not... he's trying, but he has no charisma. No. That's what held him back during his career. As a wrestler. He He was just a hand. He's just a mid-card guy, you know? Very good tag guy. Ralph mentioned the high flyers with Brunzel. He's a very sound technical wrestler, good hand in the ring. And from what Ralph was saying, he had a sense of where the business was going, probably better than his father did. Problem was, he was just never a great promo. He never had this terrific look. He had his dad's last name and he had a good move set, but that was never enough to really get him to where Vern probably thought he deserved to be. So now we get to a promo backstage. It is Baron Von Raschke and Sergeant Slaughter talking about their teams. And it's going to be Paul Diamond versus uh, for Baron's team versus Colonel De Beers for Sergeant Slaughter's team in an over-the-top rope King of the Hill match later on tonight. Sergeant Slaughter said he chose De Beers because De Beers had always tossed him over the rope uh, in their previous matches. That's why he picked the Colonel. And the one thing, DZ, that we noticed early on I had a hard t- I couldn't believe this was like before the slaughter that we saw in the main event, you know, in late 90 and into 91 with the Warrior and with Hogan because he is massive. Told here. And we see it later in the show. I mean, when he wrestles, but he is the biggest I can ever remember seeing the Sarge. Yeah. Yeah, he is he, it's funny cuz he says a line at the end of the show that we'll talk about that. Oh yeah. It's even funnier. But, yeah, he is, is large. Um, part of this interview, I don't even understand what the, what, what the Clawmaster is saying at different times. Uh, and I'm, I, I really I rewound it back like twice to try to <laughs> draw sense out of it. And, and at that point, I just gave up caring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I really said to myself, it, it really doesn't matter what yeah. he's um, you know. But, yeah, it, it's, you know, and, and you get more... You, Anyway, 
the bottom line is you get a feel for what the promos are going to be like. Um, and, and that kind of segues towards the, uh, the next promo, <laughs> which is the, uh, w- w- what is going to eventually be the, the team of the Beverly brothers. Yep. As we get to know them in, uh, in WWF, uh, the, what was it? Destruction crew. Was that Destruction? The name of Isn't it Destruction. so funny? You see these guys and it's like, how the hell does Vince go? These guys are the Beverly brothers. Cause yeah. I will say. Their their gimmick is like a little cartoony, especially with the green screen stuff. But they look like tough guys. They do the way that they they're do. presented. They a look like of, yeah. big, strong guys. Yeah, and and a, and a couple of a couple of things on on this promo. So just because I really wanted to like get a feel for everything that was going on <laughs> from a production standpoint. So when you watch the promo in the background, they come out on the screen with like sledgehammers. And they are you know, hitting, hitting the green screen to make a building fall down. Yeah. So I'm looking and I want to get an idea of what that building is. And I see a sign on top of the building that says Curtis Hotel. Lo and behold, the footage is from 1984. And there is a hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota that was built 80 years prior called the Curtis Hotel, which was a famous landmark in Minneapolis. That, that, tidbit. that was the actual footage of the hotel being demolished. Now, the real funny part of it is, is that this is a Minnesota-based company that is now showing you the video of a famous landmark that apparently th- that was demolished five years prior. So you can figure everybody in Minnesota knows what the Curtis what Hotel it, is. What it is. But apparently you have to believe that these guys just demolished it in front of your very eyes. Just knocked um, the building down. Okay, I, I'm going to, point of order, point yeah, of order. When, yeah. Do we know that the destruction crew did not have a time machine? Do we know they were not part of that crew? Listen, you know, if, maybe you know, they were if, just documenting the same event that happened years later. Maybe. Now, you know, I, I mean, listen, be, being a New York City resident, the the large pl- plumes of smoke coming out of a city with skyscrapers in the background kind of left me a little queasy for obvious Yeah. Reasons. Yeah. So that kind of like, you know, struck me because it, it was kind of eerie. But it was, look, I, I, speaking about Destruction Crew themselves, when they came on, I was like, oh, Beverly Brothers. Me too. I did the same yeah. thing. And then, the and then I listen to them talking. I'm like, furthest thing in the world from the Beverly Brothers. Right? Yeah. Yep. So it was I hilarious. Found, I found that interesting. And hey, at worst case scenario, it's always cool to see Joey Valiant too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now, ladies, really quick. So the story with that is, first of all, Vern loved him some tough Minnesota guys from you know either football teams or bar bouncers or whatever. If you watch the dark side of the ring on the Road Warriors, yes. you know that there were a lot of these guys to go around. If you were a guy in your early 20s, in the late 70s, early to mid-80s in Minnesota, chances are you rub shoulders with a lot of professional wrestlers, and chances are, in at least one instance, you got knocked on the floor by one of them. It must have been a very interesting existence. And Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom were two of those guys. Mike Enos was a really good hand for WCW for a while, a couple of years after the Beverly Brothers run. He was one of the guys in the ring when Scott Hall did his run-in to kick off the NWO storyline. He had a couple of good years after that. Wayne Bloom was a decent hand as well. In this instance, they were still two fairly young guys trying to make names for themselves, and this was the gimmick they had. 
They had Johnny Valiant as the manager. Now, my one nice thing for both this segment and the one before it, for the Slaughter and Baron Von Raschke thing, the one nice thing is Baron Von Raschke is not a Nazi. He broke in down in Texas with Fritz Von Erich, and both of them were legitimate goose-stepping Nazis that drew heel heat, the likes of which you would not believe. Well, as Raschke gets older and his career takes the turns that it does, he winds up basically being the beloved grizzled veteran type to where it's just generally accepted that the guy doesn't speak English all that well, and his big catchphrase is, and that is all the people need to know. Well, if you listen to out-of-character interviews with the guy, he's a normal dude. Yeah, It's jarring. If you haven't seen the AWA documentary, there are some holes. There are some things where WWE does revisionist history, but it's an entertaining use of two hours. Can't recommend that highly enough. He's one of the guys that they interview. And for the Destruction Crew thing, they try to do a Road Warrior impression with yeah. this. And if mm-hmm. you view it as a Road Warrior impression, it becomes a hundred times funnier. Mm-hmm. They they enter the ring surrounded by the green screens of yelling fans that we described earlier. And they kiss the sledgehammers. Don't forget they, they kiss, kiss those the sledgehammers. sledgehammers. They're accompanied to the ring by the manager, the luscious Johnny Valiant. Foreshadowing Greg- of Triple H, by the way. Yeah, yeah, the sled. Here we go, the sledgehammer, the future game. Um, Cerebral assassins, right here, walking to the ring. Greg gives some background on the both of them and some real life history on them, sports they played, things they have, some accomplishments. They've got the orange construction vests on, and Ralph now says this is where the he says the fans are looking on from sports bars watching. Enos is in charge early. You know what? This match, like the work, they worked hard. You know because the. The quote-unquote jobber team in here that included Jerry Lynn, who we know is a good worker down the line, and this wasn't. This was supposed to be, you know, a a match to get the the tag team, the Destruction Crew, over. But they were they were, um, you know, they were getting beat up by the baby faces for a while in here, and it wasn't just a complete squash. The good guys got some shine. Um, let's see, Enos was in charge early. So we get these real close-up shots, and I don't mind. The, the the shots just the cuts back and forth too many back 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 the, the different close up angles are cool those are things that I thought were actually sort of innovative that you didn't see because you watch other wrestling shows and you get the same shots these ones were actually giving you some different shots which were cool um, Jerry Lynn takes control then Ricky Rice was in for the double team they work on the the crew for a minute Enos with the to the eyes and then Bloom gets tossed around by Rice for a while Valiant distracts the uh, the ref Enos helps the double team Bloom's in charge. Uh, the crew is in control. You get a big power slam by Enos, and then the ref is distracted, and the crew ends up hitting the, the Doomsday. Real cool with uh, uh, putting um, the opponent on their shoulders and the, the flying clothesline off the top. Flynn takes a great bump here. And Gagne's very upset that they would go up the top rope uh, when the ref was distracted. Because remember, with AWA, some of the rules are you know no top ropes, no throwing each other. You can't come off the top rope. You can't throw someone over the top rope. Those are things that would result in a disqualification. So, Darren, again, when we look at a lot of the goofy stuff here, like if you just took the four or five minutes of ring work, it these guys are actually like the Beverly brothers aren't bad workers and and Flynn's not a bad worker. And so these guys are that's it's okay. It's it's just you know it's not really much. It's it's just like an okay few minute match. But it's so funny to see them here and then how they were repackaged as the Beverly brothers. I really just couldn't get over it. 
Yeah, no, I, the the wrestling part of this was not was not terrible. Um, you know, I I think it is kind of funny that you know they they clearly were trying to make this their version of the you know Road Warriors, and mm -hmm. they even stole their finisher. Yeah, uh, yeah, in the process because when they went to WWF at the time, you know, you know, Vince said you're, you're not using that finisher. Um, yeah, and they came up with that. You know, I think it was called like the Shaker Height Spike that. I think they almost killed five people with um, this particular move. I, I, I remember listening to Ralph Lev say, I, I think he broke his neck, which I think he said during three <laughs> matches. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, think, I think he broke his, mat, his neck. That's terrible. You know, I think he broke his neck. Um, so that was kind of funny. Then at the end, you get our first Eric Bischoff sighting. Um, what the hell is on his head? I don't. I it's like a blonde. Is that blonde so, hair with a mullet? Like it's I like honestly, a. Honestly, I honestly think. Looking back at this, I had never seen Bischoff at this time. No, the only, me neither. The only Bischoff that I know is the jet black hair Bischoff mm -hmm. when he's in WCW. And then obviously, you know, the gray white hair when he comes back. After watching this, I became convinced that Eric Bischoff was prematurely graying. Must have been. And actually dyed his hair jet black to get rid of the gray when he went to WCW. Now... On top of that, half this interview, I can't even hear the It's question. inaudible. You can't How do you think? This is a taped show. Yeah. This isn't live. Yeah. How do you put that on with the microphone not working on a taped show? Don't know, but they basically <laughs> saw it and go, that ah, it'll give it a real feel. <laughs> yeah. Leave it alone. Good job, Eric. Let's move on. <laughs> he's, he's literally, so he comes out to the ring to try to get a word with, you know, the destruction crew and Valiant after the match, and we hear Really nothing. Nothing. Like they put it up and it's just valiant, like, blah, blah, we're gonna get the titles, blah blah. And that's I mean, been poor Bischoff is like freaking out, looking around like he can't oh then back to you. I mean, it is you, we get you get nothing out of the inter the interaction after the match whatsoever. Um uh, before we then get back to Ralph and Greg. Andrew, anything else to say before we uh, move to the next segment? I'm pretty happy that we gave this match its due because yeah. this match, I actually didn't hate it. Me either. No, was, the action was fine. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lynn, very good worker. Ricky Rice had a couple of tag teams in the AWA and in a couple of other independent promotions. He wasn't a bad worker. And Innocent Bloom, we've already touched on. Uh, th this is the, the one nice thing here is the match wasn't bad. You had Mike Enos doing his power moves. He's a guy that if he'd have been two or three inches taller, could have gone a lot further because he had a good shoulder breaker, really good power slam, and they do the doomsday device off the top rope. They did get a little bit of a run in WWF as the Beverly Brothers, and then he just went off to do his thing in WCW. But the weird stuff starts after the match with the interview with Bischoff, which, yeah, it's inaudible, whatever. Oh, maybe it was technical difficulties, and we move on. They go to break. They come back, and we get more green screen magic, complete with Sergeant Slaughter and Colonel De Beers. Oh my God! This, I, we, and this gimmick, I could go the Colonel De Beers gimmick. Twenty minutes on Colonel De Beers. There are so many things that that guy was part of because his gimmick was just in the worst possible taste at the worst possible time. You had a guy as part of the South African Army, which at the time was trying to keep its grip on apartheid, one of the most repressive policies in human rights history. And here's Colonel De Beers. Jeez. 
It's just, just brutal. And so this is just, again, something that you'd never be able to pull off today. And to make it worse, so you get the Sergeant Slaughter promo. Slaughter tells us about the over-the-top rope King of the Hill match. He says the Beers has thrown his carcass over the top. And he says, this is, he likes to win. He doesn't like to lose. An actual line that Slots says. And uh, he says to the Colonel, if you do lose, you will disgrace my team and America. Then De Beers responds and he starts talking. We've got, as soon as he starts, we've got some African tribal music that they're playing in the background as if this gimmick and the isn't bad enough. They're they're playing this. And he says, you know, um, he's never lost a war, but he's had some casualties along the way. What he's, the hell was that? I know. What do you what? You, you know, like you have had some casualties. You're what? I know it makes no sense. And he says uh, he's winning for the pride of South Africa. So a lot of the the big the big thing about the team challenge series was that your r- teams are randomly selected, so you could be put together with, which is something that we saw WWF do in the Survivor Series. You know, um, you know, years later, which we kind of like the idea of that. It's able to to kind of spark feuds, and so these two have had a feud, but now. Sergeant Slaughter needs to enlist his services to get some points for their team. And mean which something we haven't mentioned yet. This whole team challenge series, the winning team is supposed to get a million bucks, a, a million dollars to the winning team to split. So that's the incentive for them to win here. Um, we then, yeah, this is, I mean, that was yeah. one nice thing. Okay. It is the only time in the history of wrestling where the word communique has been worked into a promo. Congratulations, <laughs> Colonel De Beers. <laughs> okay, we get to back to Greg and Ralph. So we keep every time we go from like a promo or a match, we check back in with Greg and Ralph in the in the production room and you know, they'll set up the next segment for us. They'll kind of put a, a bit a ribbon on the, the segment we just saw and then get us ready for the next one. And as Ralph mentioned, I think they're in their sweatsuits, like track suits. But Ralph has kind of got a collared shirt on underneath the jacket too, which he was he's like, what? Okay. Um so we then get the Here intro for the go. Beverly Hills knockouts. And I texted Andrew when I was watching this and said, trying to actually document what was going on. Cause I, I will try to when we're watching matches, promos, make my notes through the move sets, what's going on. Basically I'll do my own little taking notes of, of everything. Something that I'll say, I'll, uh, we'll th- this was impossible. <laughs> this was so hard to try to do that too. <laughs> and this is so not the AWA. Like y- you see this and this is Vince. This is Vince McMahon stuff. This is not Vern Gagne, AWA. What this is, is a fever dream of some pervy wrestling promoter. This may have been a Herb Abrams thing, because here, this is actually what the Beverly Hills Knockouts were. I did a little research before this. The Beverly Hills Knockouts were a group of exotic dancers that were actually trained, at least in part, by Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn was the one who was tasked with, okay, here's how you do several basic maneuvers. Otherwise, just go out there in as little mm-hmm. clothing as you possibly can and, you know, take up five minutes. That's so basically what the Beverly Hills knockouts were. And I don't think I'm doing this match any more justice. So I'm going to leave the floor now to Gino and Darren, both of whom were watching this for the very first time, because I have to tell you, 
the reaction to this from Gino and Darren, that's one of the reasons why I picked this show. I have been waiting for this for a week, and I'm just going to sit back, relax, and enjoy it. So we've, we've got it in a bar. They're in a bar, and there's a ring set up that is probably about the size of like a fifth of a regular wrestling ring. This is one of the tiniest little squares that you could possibly. It it almost it's like a little bit bigger than the rings that they would ride down to in WrestleMania. You know, like a, when when Andre rides down, and you're th- it's just slightly bigger than that. And we've got a referee in there and two women with their boxing gloves on, and then a bunch of women all around the ring surrounding it, almost like a lumberjack situation where they're right on the outside of the ropes, and. We get a three-round fight in, a, in this small ring. We have the women who are who are coming out with their um, with the signs in between each round, and they're dressed up in lingerie. It's the Blonde Bomber versus Slaughterhouse Sean, and we get shots of fans, a bunch of guys at a bar popping drinks. They're pumped up, and the first round it's just kind of a back and forth. The women box around, exchanging some shots here and there. But there's just so many cutaways. Cut, 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 boom, cut, fans, boom, bar, back, boom, boom, boom. I mean, you can't not you cannot have any idea what's going on, who's hitting who, who is who. You have absolutely no clue. It is you you cannot even keep up with it. I tried to rewind it fast rewind it five times. I, I literally had no idea. And then I'll and poor Ralph, he like I said, he's calling the Slaughterhouse Sean, he's calling her Slaughterhouse Sally because the the, the one girl's got a, the, her her manager is Mustang Sally on the outside, so he's confusing them. And um, the guys joke about how they'd love to be there, and, but hey, hey, you know what? This is sanctioned by the Beverly Hills Knockouts Committee, so at least this is a legitimate fight that's sanctioned. the The blonde bomber gets knocked down. Her manager Mustang Sally. The bomber then just drops her gloves and just goes. Absolutely nuts She just starts wrestling And she hits a short sloop suplex in a tiny ring And then Greg has no idea what's going on He like <laughs> Ralph is asking Ralph, like, Ralph's like are they allowed to do this And I, I don't I have no This is definitely different than anything I've ever seen before Kind of enjoyable To watch but these two gals Are taking a pounding One of Greg's uh, direct quotes um, at, at one point Somehow Mustang Sally gets thrown in the ring and her clothes are off. Like I just instantly like she's in the ring and then her clothes get ripped off and she's just in like what would be a bra and panties and then she hits a backbreaker. There is just like if it sounds insane, it is. I- I'm probably like doing I'm probably doing a better job of keeping like like making this seem like it was a structured thing than it was. This was batshit. I mean, this, and what's the, what's funny about this is, you know, so both women get knocked down at the end. Slaughterhouse Sean makes it to her feet and wins. You know, this, Slaughterhouse Sally is what Ralph keeps saying. This is just, a, a, you know, it's a, it's a mess at the end. But there's nothing to do with the Team Challenge series. This is no points. Nobody's on either team. This has literally zero to do with the entire pilot that they're shooting of this Team Challenge series and the whole concept. Darren, um, some thoughts. <laughs> thoughts. Okay, thoughts. Number one, you mentioned how this is Vince McMahon. Right. This is like seven years before Vince McMahon even starts to dabble in the mm-hmm. idea of having women function in this way. Because at this time in WWF slash E, 
Vince McMahon's women matches were still the fabulous Moolah versus Wendy Richter type stuff um, in one piece, weird looking bathing suits. These women are in underwear, like literally bra and panties around the ring. Now, the interesting thing about that is that every woman in the shot around the ring are wearing bras, except the two women fighting in the ring who are just wearing white <laughs> tank tops, clearly with no bra underneath. You can use your imagination as to how I reached that conclusion. Then, <laughs> after the quote-unquote boxing match in the first round it turns into a wrestling kickboxing boxing match at one point the blonde bomber i believe her name is removes her yes, gloves that's correct. rather quickly and does a snap mare in which she then proceeds to ram her knee into the back of the head neck of her opponent now the funny thing about that is that her opponent is so rattled by the shots to the back of the neck that even after the blonde bomber stops yanking her head into her knee, she proceeds to do it herself two more times with no help. <laughs> so literally the blonde bomber takes her hand off her opponent's head and her opponent then continues to snap her head back into the blonde bomber's knee two more times for the hell of it. Um, then suddenly, after somehow getting her boxing gloves off, the blonde, bom the blonde bomber suddenly has her boxing gloves back on. Don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, then Mustang Sally comes in and, like you said, performs a backbreaker. And I think they went for the Rocky two finish of they're going to knock each other out and it's going to be a test of wills as to... Who can beat the count to 10? <laughs> and they're waiting with bated breath to see who's going to stand before the count of 10. And that's how the match ends. I don't know what the hell it was. I don't know what it was supposed to be. I can't even imagine what the instructions were to these women going into the match. What's the rundown? What are, what are they telling you to do? Yeah, it may have just been... Just pretend like you beat the shit out of each other for three rounds and do whatever the hell you want. And that's pretty much what it looks like. I don't know what it's meant to accomplish. I don't know what its purpose is. But it is exactly what you imagine. It's two women scantily dressed in the ring, kicking each other's ass, with a bunch of women in underwear jumping up and down around the ring. <laughs> Andrew, So what you're saying is... It what you're saying is it's one of the greatest things you've ever seen. Okay, check the box and move on. <laughs> I mean, if I I, I don't even I, I don't even have words. It was I, it I, there was I, so I, much going on. Like it was so quick. That was the whole thing about this entire 39 minutes is that it is like the pace of everything is so insanely fast that you could not just watch this through one time without re stopping it and, f and rewinding back eight times, like, and over and over and over because you just miss what, what the hell just happened. Like, yeah, what, what, the, only, just... The, 
the only thought I had to try to intellectually formulate in my mind how this happened <laughs> is that one of these women said, hey, you know, I was in the sorority back at <laughs> University of Minnesota. <laughs> and during my hazing, they made us strip down into our underwear and wear oversized boxing gloves. And we had a fight for three rounds. And the winner, you know, at the end was the girl who, who was able to still stand up. That's the only thing that you could possibly think is how they came to whatever this was supposed to be. Oh, my goodness. You're AC. welcome, guys. You are okay. so welcome. Yeah. This was, I mean, again, again, this show is not long, so please go watch it because it's just hilarious to get to get an idea of some of these things that we're talking about. Um, okay, we then are back to Ralph and... Greg in the production room and Satellite base Satellite base base. There we go Ralph says how the AWA has always been on the cutting edge And Greg lets us know that the winner of the team challenge series Will split one million We then take a look at the three teams It's Larry's Legends, Baron's Blitzers And Sarge's Snipers And this entire series If you go look it up It was hilarious There is no (laughs) rhyme or reason to the point system They are obviously just Adding points from teams, subtracting points from teams, adding stuff on all along the way. There's at one point a turkey on a pole match and all these <laughs> bizarre matches throughout the series. And it was just doing anything you could to try to throw shit at a wall at this point to see if it could stick because they were struggling. They were struggling trying to keep up with Vince and they were losing a ton of their talent. So they figured, hey, we have to do something different. We can't just be less than the WWE. And this just these are things that you see when someone's struggling with or when when they have no other options because this isn't Vern. This these things aren't Vern. These goofy gimmicks and the the boxy boxing stuff. That's just not stuff that he did well. Treating wrestling like a real sport and making building competitors, making them seem legitimate. There were a lot of things that Vern did well. Plenty that he did wrong, you know. But there were a lot of things he did well. This was not. These things were not it. Um, we then get to the Paul Diamond promo in front of the green screen. <laughs> Paul Diamond, the future Max Moon, right? He's already Among in space. Among other things, yes. He's already in space here. He's talking about his match with Colonel De Beers, and he says, you were sent once by Diamond Dallas Page to eliminate me, but you couldn't do it. He he is jacked up. He looks in great shape. He really is in, in phenomenal shape. And then his entrance through the green screen crowd same exact B-roll footage that we see two seconds later when De Beers comes through. And when De Beers comes in and he takes his shirt off, he looks like your drunk uncle who just takes his shirt off and is, like, drunk and yelling at someone at your family Christmas party for no reason. And, like, everybody's like, just put Uncle Jim out in the back. That's what he looks like. He's just, like, this big dude. He's got a little bit of a belly, but he's in He's a brick and he goes at a quick pace We get Paul Diamond with the head scissor Takedown a couple times early These guys are working really hard I I gotta give it up, you know, we're laughing at a lot of the production stuff But they really were working hard In these short matches And Paul Diamond's super athletic Then he badly misses on a drop kick That Greg tries to play off when they show it On the the replay He says, uh, well, he kind of hit him with one foot Um, De Beers actually hits a headbutt Off the top rope he has the uh, he has Paul Diamond hanging across the ropes in the corner, and he kicks him 
So it looks like he's going to go over the top Remember this is a king of the hill match So the winner to win you have to throw your opponent over the top No DQ, no pin, no submission, none of that So um, The colonel actually ends up Suplexing Paul Diamond Back into the ring He misses a headbutt And then Paul is back in control And you know what? This is a pretty quick pace This is a decent back and forth De Beers hits a slingshot um, with when he's got Paul Diamond under the bottom rope and he, he slingshots his neck into the bottom, which is a, a cool spot, and he's in control. And then he he's kind of sort of tossing Paul around. Um, he throws Paul. What looks like Paul Diamond. What looks like over the top rope, but Paul saves himself. He pulls himself back in, and De Beers sets up for a pile driver. But Paul Diamond with the back body drop of De Beers up and over the top rope for the win. Um, the the thing about this though, Derek, is like when you watch it. This is 1990 And it just feels like it's 1982, 83 It just feels so much Like it doesn't feel like 90 Or supposed to be around 90 This is like everything This is still in slow motion back in time stuff Yeah I I couldn't agree more um, With that assessment Um, The match yeah I mean they work hard Um, The funny part you, you mentioned that drop kick I mean Here's my question Why Like like you said We said before This is tape He misses the drop kick by Don't replay it Why replay it Why would you pick that spot To show in slow motion Which makes it even more obvious That he missed the drop kick by a foot I don't know Um I thought the match was actually going to end when he was attempting to throw Diamond over the top and he mm-hmm. and he got him in a head scissors. I thought he was going to pull him over, you know, the top rope with the head scissors, which I actually thought would have been kind of cool. But then you have broken neck spot number two. When Diamond doesn't do it <laughs> and he kind of gets jerked into the bottom rope and good old Ralph goes, oh, no, he broke his neck. <laughs> It's terrible he broke his neck. So we've had two people, unfortunately, suffer broken necks in the first three matches of the night. Um, yeah, and then there's one point where De Beers is actually kind of playing to the crowd that's not there. Oh, my God, this is great. Sarge yep. does this, and then Terminator does this in this oh. next match. And I had a note about it then, too, but it's so funny when they're doing this. So I kind of, like, when I watched back, I went... I almost got the feeling that whoever was in charge said, hey, you guys, you know, I know there's nobody in the crowd, but you guys got to start to make it look like there are people there. So at one point, De Beers, I forgot what move it was after, but he does something, he gets the guy down, and he starts, like, pointing up at the crowd, you know, like, yeah, I'm the man, I'm the man. And then that really happens a lot. We'll talk about it when we get to the slaughter match. But I'm sitting there, and it's just like, you don't really understand at this point like, what's happening? Like, is there supposed to be a crowd there? Are we acknowledging that there's not a crowd there? Are they really watching in bars? Is the bar supposed to be in the building? Are some people confused that there's supposed to be people in the arena? Like, some people think that there's not supposed to be people in the arena. And the crazy part about this is that it's all taped. So you could have cleaned this up a million different ways. But it's literally like it was just one take, get it done. Can you imagine being the guy at ESPN that gets this back then in like the VHS in the mail with a letter from maybe Vern Gagne that says, you know, explains the idea of what this is and you pop it in the VCR 
and you watch it. And the only the only thing that I could kind of take away from it is when you start to like call the people in and you rewind it to like have them come watch it to see how hilariously bad it is that somebody sent you this to possibly air it on the ESPN. There's a scene from the West Wing, which is oh, my yeah. all-time favorite show, <laughs> where Sam Seaborn is getting beaten up on, on a talk show by Andy Come Hayes. quick, Sam's getting his ass kicked by a girl. So good. And 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 Toby goes running out of the office <laughs> and Ginger get the popcorn. And I can only imagine that that's what was happening at the ESPN offices when this got sent to them and they had to sit through and watch this to determine if this was some if this was a road that they wanted to go down. Maybe when they first came out in like 81, 82, and the only content that they had was like pie eating contests and world's strongest man. Once you get to 1989 and they're starting to cover like the NFL draft and stuff, not a really good shot that they were going to be interested in this particular product. Okay. Um, so AWA historian on the scene with say one nice thing. So, the Diamond promo actually gave me one of my biggest laughs of the night, and I'm surprised neither of you mentioned this. Um, he mentions this is the first match of the Team Challenge series 30 seconds after they show a leaderboard with points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> and there are tons of points. Now, to be fair, that may as well have just been somebody, you know, saying to Paul Diamond, hey, this is the first match of the series. Da, 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 da. Or your first match they, or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And, but. and nobody caught it. It's it's an honest little thing that shouldn't have been a big thing. And there should have been about nine lines of defense that would have caught it. Now, the other good thing is Paul Diamond was a sneaky good worker that had a long career. He was in AWA. He went to WWF for a couple of years as part of the Orient Express, where they reunited Bad Company. And he went on to the independent scene in the mid to late 90s. He was actually one of the guys that Shawn Michaels had helping him train guys at his training camp in Texas during the four years where he was, quote unquote, retired. Uh, he was also doing independent work under the name of Venom. And he and Shawn Michaels actually worked a match just to see if Shawn could still work. So that's it's pretty cool tape trader stuff if you can find it. This match is not terrible. The problem is the Colonel De Beers stink with that gimmick. Yeah. Just it mars everything that he touches. And it shouldn't because he's not a bad worker. No, he's it's really just, not. He's just he's a big guy is, that can move oh, pretty well, right? Uh-huh. Everybody drink. Now, the story with Colonel De Beers that I will tell, and I will give parents with kids five seconds to get the kids out of the room at this point. Colonel De Beers back in the 80s did some independent work with a promoter named Herb Abrams. Herb Abrams is the prototypical wrestling scumbag, addicted to Coke promoter. They, as the legend goes, went out to party the night before having a meeting with network executives. Well, Herb Abrams is involved. And if you haven't seen the dark side of the ring on Herb Abrams, go punch it up. It's really good. It's really insightful, and the dude was a freaking lunatic. So, the next day, the story goes that Colonel De Beers is so hungover, he can't meet with the network officials. 
Well, he claimed, apparently, and heaven knows where I read this, and this may very well just be one of wrestling's tall tales, but it's, it's too funny not to share. So the story goes that he had to go to the hospital with a quote-unquote scratched retina. One of the wrestlers wondered aloud, I wonder if one of the women had a piercing somewhere. <laughs> that was wrestling in the late 1980s, and that's, in the nutshell, the Team Challenge series. Because at that point, you get guys who either were not ready for prime time, see also Jerry Lynn, guys who WWF or WCW didn't want to bring back quite yet, see also Sergeant Slaughter, guys who were Vern loyalists like Larry Zbysko, or guys that were just winding down their careers. In this case, that was Colonel De Beers. He didn't wrestle long after the AWA closed up shop in 1990. The match was fine. Paul Diamond's a decent worker. Colonel De Beers is a decent hand. But Colonel De Beers with that gimmick, uh, it just, it, it leaves a rotten taste in your mouth because the guy, and, and to be fair, the 80s were a different time. You could get away with a lot of stuff under the guise of drawing heat. Well, he drew the wrong kind of heat and he leaned into his gimmick hard. And when you lean into the gimmick hard, you get stuff that does not age well. Ooh, boy. I, I almost wonder, you know, when we look at De Beers and, and what his character was. So about uh, a little less than a year after this, well, it's probably actually about six months after this, is when, is when Slaughter reaches out to McMahon about going back to WWF. And McMahon wants him to return as a heel who originally um, the, the angle was going to be that, that he turns on the United States uh, due to the fact that it has become accepting of Nikolai Volkov who turned into a baby face. And then the whole, you know, uh, invasion of Kuwait happens and McMahon comes up with the idea that instead of going that approach, he's going to become an Iraqi sympathizer. Uh, who likes Iraq because of their brutality, as opposed to the United States, who is a weak, you know, soft country now. And I almost wonder if the Colonel De Beers character had a part in creating the Sergeant Slaughter heel character it's a good, it's a, in WWF. It's a sanitized yeah. version, but there's some crossover. Absolutely. There's a lot. There's there's a lot. And um, I mean, yeah, it's. He he is a an old like, he he to me is someone when you just think of like the territories they all there's a Colonel De Beers in every one just like a big guy that was like a you look at him you're like oh this guy can go but he actually can work pretty well but he has a, a weird gimmick he was just a big re- old school wrestler and uh, a, a rival of Slaughter's and speaking of Slaughter we get to Ralph and Greg one more time they set up the final match it's Sergeant Slaughter against the Terminator and here comes Sergeant Slaughter. Man, does he look massive. And he's got the weird comb over hair, too, going on. It, he just looks so strange. The biggest I've ever seen him. There are lots of lockups and power back and forth early. Nice drop toehold by the Sarge. And then a headlock. Slaughter starts to build up. And he runs off the ropes. The ring is shaking so much, I thought it was going to break. 
I thought the ring was going to fall apart when when slots hits the ropes back and forth, and he ends up hitting a cross body. Both guys are talking a ton to the non-existent crowd, which is just such a weird dynamic. Sarge asking for the USA chance. He's in control. The Terminator then with a poke to the eyes, he works on the Sarge who goes headfirst into the ring post. Sarge then with a drop kick and a big clothesline and uh, another one the, from the second rope. And Sarge wins it with the Cobra clutch. I mean, it's another one's like, this is better than a lot of Sarge WWF matches that you'll see. That are really slow and plotting At least this is The one thing that the AWA would do Is that when you'd get these shows Where they'd have short matches They weren't bad They were short The wrestlers knew they were going to be out there for 5 minutes That was going to be it So they worked really hard They didn't have a lot of rest spots This and that They actually worked at a decent pace Um, And then we get Bischoff Ringside with Sergeant Slaughter This is I think what Darren was referencing earlier When Eric says This match went longer than some of uh, your others Uh Uh-huh Sarge What kind of shape are you in And Sarge says he's in the greatest shape of his life He just is so massive And so blatantly not in the greatest shape of his life So Darren Sergeant Slaughter In uh, in a match against the Terminator What do you think about this uh, yeah, I mean, from a match standpoint, it's probably better better than, than Hogan Slaughter. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I mean, there, there's a high cross body in the match. That's that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not terrible. Um, you know, I did get you know certain kick. I mean, I, I point to the match. They they build him up to be like this absolute powerhouse where you know Terminator just bulls into him and Slaughter goes nowhere and just like shakes it off and starts walking right back towards him. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that that you see today. Um, But yeah, I mean, they really build them out to be like this powerhouse. He even does like a standing drop kick at one point that I'm like, wow, like (laughs) slaughter getting up with a standing drop kick, you know, is, is friggin' impressive. But I mean, there, there's one point of the match where they're circling in the ring and slaughter walks over to like the ropes and just starts like cheering at the crowd. And he puts his hands up. And then at one point, he cuts his ear as if to say to the crowd that's not there, let me hear you. And then he starts clapping his hands and pointing a finger in the air as if he's trying to get the crowd into the match. There's nobody in the building. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just gone from just insanity to just complete absurdity. And then the last thing that I get a kick out of, you mentioned the interview where he talks about being in the best shape of his life. One one thing that I have to bring up, which really has no bearing, but it, it's such a crazy show that we might as well mention it. The referee in the last match, what the hell kind of three count does he have? It looks, I can't even explain how he's counting on the mat, but it almost looks like he has difficulty lifting his arms. I don't know why I noticed it because you're so used to seeing like these powerful threes. This guy looks confused as to what his job is supposed to be. Like he doesn't know exactly what it is he's doing. I don't know. It's just adds to the craziness of the match. But I look funny as hell. Um, the last thing that I'll talk about is that they give you uh, as we get to the end of the, uh, the production, they, they, they talk about uh, you're going to get a look at some of the wrestlers that'll be joining us next week. And one of the wrestlers, and it's actually the last wrestler that you see, mm-hmm. is who the wrestler that would become to be known as Yokozuna. 
Yep. Who in AWA was known as Coquina Maximus. Now, the thing that that's kind of wild about that is that shortly after this, he and Sergeant Slaughter actually have a feud. And you can watch the match between Slaughter and Coquina Maximus. There's a few of them uh, on YouTube. Uh, Slaughter is kind of this American hero walking around, handing out the American flags. Now, the one thing that you have to notice, and I'm not saying that he's skinny by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably 375 pounds at this point, talking about Yokozuna. But from the time that we see him in 1990 or so, to when he gets to WWF, he weighs 200 pounds more, more. than he did in AWA. It's insane. It's crazy that it's even the same person. But, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff and you like to see the origins of some of the guys that got pushes at different times in WWF, you can see early Yokozuna and AWA against Sergeant Slaughter, who, by the way, in 1990, if you go and watch the matches between Slaughter and, and, and Yoko, Slaughter looks like he's 75 pounds lighter in those matches than he was in this Team Challenge Series pilot. So he must have saw himself on TV and said, holy crap, I better get back in the gym. <laughs> hey, Andrew, what were your thoughts on this last match and, uh, and then post-match uh, Slaughter interview? Okay, first of all, as mentioned last week when Darren asked, who the hell's the Terminator? The Terminator is Marcus Laurinaitis, who is the brother of both Johnny Ace and Road Warrior Animals. So this is the laggard third child of the Laurinaitis family that didn't go on to wrestling glory, either in America or in Japan. Um, we mentioned Sarge's size. I, I mentioned it last week. This was the biggest slaughter ever got. And Darren, I think you're right. He saw himself after this and went, oh, my goodness, I need to lose weight. And he did. He came back to the WWF, it seemed like 40 pounds lighter than this. So that was certainly something to notice. And it wasn't exactly something you had to look hard to see. They slow-moed a forearm where Slaughter had the Terminator into the ropes. Slaughter hits this forearm and Ganya calls it bone on bone, <laughs> except he's going across the Terminator's chest and the Terminator doesn't sell it. Like, at all. He basically just stays in the ropes. Okay, so that's what we're <laughs> slow-moing. And I'm surprised neither of you said this, but Slaughter's big interacting with the crowd moment was actually near the end of the match. Yes. Where he looks out over the top rope, pulls his arms together and goes, Cobra Clutch! Yeah. Right on cue, they cut to these two <laughs> kids in a sports bar high-fiving. <laughs> First of all, what sports bar anywhere would let a child, let alone two children, into a sports bar during prime time when this is theoretically airing? Just saying. And these kids are about, oh, seven, eight, nine years old. They're not, you know, 14, 15 year old kids. They're legitimate children. And they're in a sports bar, quote unquote, watching this stuff. Sarge wins by submission. We never see the Terminator actually tap out for whatever reason. They do a punch the button moment where we see Slaughter come off the second rope with the clothesline. And then Sarge says, I'm in the best shape of my life with a straight face. And it's just, uh, oh, man. Oh, man. Now, 
They do show a bunch of other wrestlers in the closing credits talking about people you'll see next week. They show Ox Baker, who was there for a while. They show the trooper who would wind up being better known as anybody. Anybody at all? No. The Patriot. Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah, Del Wilkes. Yeah. That's Del Wilkes. Yep. So he was actually one of the bigger faces in the company during the dying days of the AWA. In the last year of AWA, there was talk of him potentially winning the world title from Larry Zabisco. That's how big he was in the company, slash how desperate the company was for top-line baby faces. They also showed one of my favorite named tag teams, the Texas Hangmen. Do either of you know the names of the Texas Hangmen? No. No. Killer and Psycho. <laughs> Sounds like I'm retribution making, names. I'm not making T-bar, this up. T-Bar and uh, some of the the retribution names it that we saw this week. Just, I, you'll watch some of the later day AWA stuff, and they're being pushed as this heel big tag team, the Monsters, and their names are Killer and Psycho. And it's even better if you get Lee Marshall on commentary because you get Tony the Tiger talking about people named Killer and Psycho. The unintentional comedy level is off the charts, and that's a pretty fitting conclusion to what we just watched. The unintentional comedy of this show is Mm. so far off the charts because AWA knew they had to try something different. I I applaud them for that. You had to try something out of the box. It just the fact that you couldn't look at this and immediately go, this is never going to be shown to anybody, right? Whoever put right. this together, this has never seen the light of day. Like, we're going to, 20 years from now, have a drink and laugh at who, who did this. And, and not just because what the Beverly Hills knockouts were wearing would have never flown on any basic cable channel anywhere at that point. This was 1989. We, hadn't, we were still several years away from Baywatch at that point. So this was, it's one of the most fascinating watches on the WWE Network. It's one of those things where if you haven't seen it, it's 40 minutes, punch the button, and get ready to laugh. And I am so, so thankful that Ralph Strange just took some time yeah, that was, to that join was us to talk some shop about the AWA. We're, we're all wrestling historians slash nerds to some degree. That was so fantastic hearing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on. I am so grateful to him for being receptive enough to do that. And this was so much fun, not just because I got to hear Darren apparently burst like three blood vessels trying (laughs) to comprehend everything that was going on here. I'm just saying my, my historical curiosity juices, they're, they're, they're good for a while, but a couple months down the line, we might be hearing yay, yay, yay for the AWA once again. So, and uh, Darren, think for a second, and then you can sign off. You can sign off. Which uh, Andrew will have you sign off first, because Darren, this is going to be your uh, selection for which show we're going to be watching next. Andrew, let the folks know what do you have coming up this week? Uh, Champagne and JD, give us your follows, all that information, and then we'll get over to Darren for his pick. Sure, Andrew Champagne on Twitter, Champagne and JD this week. We're going down under. We're focusing on a couple of races in Australia. We'll have Andrew Hawkins on the show, and that's a big get for us. We're excited about that. JD Fox working some of his magic to bring us one of international racing's most respected analysts. I will also have all of my NFL picks and plays up on andrewchampagne.com. Seven and one through two weeks, so I'm off to a good start. 
In fantasy, not so much. Rest in peace, Saquon Barkley's right leg. That hurt. That really, really hurt for a variety of different reasons. Not just because he's obviously a young, gifted, electrifying running back, but one of my keepers in fantasy football. So my season may well be over two weeks in. But still a lot to look forward to. Still a lot going on. Santa Anita obviously opening this week. Uh, Preakness coming up next week. Heard the news today that Tis the Law is not going to be running in that one, but still some talented three-year-olds going, including Authentic and Art Collector. So lots to be excited about moving forward. And now, hopefully, I've given Darren enough time to recover and find something that will cleanse his palate after what I forced him to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really thought about what I wanted to do. And I, I, I don't want to call it a... Uh, I don't want to call it a hate watch, (laughs) but there is a moment that we have talked about several times uh, in our back and forth of uh, WWE history that we've never gone back and watched. And it is just a, it is a pay-per-view that, that could have been, could have been better. (laughs) Um, And, it could have been better for a variety of reasons. Um, one of which being um, Bret Hart coming off of a great run, being in two matches in the pay-per-view uh, that were completely ridiculous. Um, the Undertaker having to go through something again for the second time that was ridiculous. And probably the most asinine ending to a pay-per-view that we have ever seen. Can either of you name the pay-per-view that we're going to watch this week? Is this the Royal Rumble where he goes into the casket and they, he loses to the entire locker room pretty much? No, I actually enjoy that show. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't mind that show either. That's 94, that's right? I, actually, that was, I like that, that Rumble. Was my, that was my initial guess, but otherwise I got nothing. No, I so, we are going to watch the world infamous balloon drop oh. of SummerSlam 1993. Nice, nice. Okay. This, this, you yeah, get Bret Hart facing Doink, and then Je- Bret Hart facing Jerry Waller. You get the highly anticipated rematch of The Undertaker versus giant gonzalez (laughs) and then you get lex luger versus yokozuna in a match in which lex luger does not win the championship but is hoisted on everyone's shoulders with balloons the crowning achievement of his life (laughs) we've talked about it many times but there's so much politics going on in wwe at that time that we can actually dive into uh, from, from soup to nuts a what lot. actually went on with Lex Luger and, and leading up to that moment. So, so much about what that, Remember, that show was supposed to be Bret Hart versus Hulk Hogan yes. for the title. Yes. Instead, 
Six months before, that's the that's the plan. Instead, we've got a Lex Luger who's like the now new Hulk Hogan against Yokozuna. How the hell does all of that go happen between early '93 to SummerSlam? We have a ton to discuss. That's a good show to pick. I'm glad because, like we saw with this show, we we talked about a show that was 40 minutes for an hour and 15 minutes, and in addition to a 40 minute interview with Ralph before that. So sometimes the quote unquote hate watches. Or even better, SummerSlam 1993 is where we head next for our old wrestling rewatch. Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, my good friends, love you both. Thanks uh, again for another fun week, and I look forward to uh, to talking with you guys next week. Good deal. Thanks, guys. Always fun. Take it easy, guys. Folks, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on That's What G Said. And a big thank you to Ralph for joining us. That was a ton of fun. Thank you to Andrew. Thank you to Darren. Andrew really set that whole thing up. So uh, give extra props to Andrew. He was the one that reached out and and put that all together. So thanks a lot, Andrew, on that one. Thanks to Paul for joining me to to talk all about NFL Week 3. And a big thank you to all the sponsors. Folks, if you can, remember, um, give them some support. If you if you can for me because they are the ones that keep this show going. I love to be able to keep everything free and never have to charge anybody for any content because I know it's tough times for everybody. There's so much stuff out there. Nobody wants to have to pay for stuff. I understand. So hey, if you can help out and support, you know, Stable Duel, Thrive Fantasy, use that promo code Gino. Old Smoke, use that promo code Gino. Sarah Candles, use that promo code Gino. Cindy Carava, that helps. It's a, it puts a few bucks back in my pocket. It helps me keep this show going, and it, and it shows them that you're listening and uh, and you're heading over to help them out. So thank you so much, everyone. You have a great, great weekend. Next week we'll be back. We'll talk some Major League Baseball playoffs, NBA Finals, Preakness, Week Four of NFL. Scott Shapiro is going to join me. It'll be SummerSlam 1993 and the old wrestling rewatch in a busy. Time in the sports world. Joey, take it away.